Miss Marvel episode five, a look at the Marvel Netflix roster and a look at the box office as well. And everything you need to know about the universes you love right here. Episode 99 of the direct podcast. Truth is, I am a Jedi. I'm the vengeance. And I am Iron Man. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in episode 99 of the Direct Podcast, where we will be giving you everything you need to know about the universes you love. I'm your host, Sloth Baby, Matt Rimke, and joining me today, our box office correspondent, Mr. David Thompson. David. Hey, Matt. How are we doing? Happy to be here. Episode 99. We're so close to that sweet, sweet episode 100 right right on the cusp um happy to be here a lot to break down today happy to be here with you yeah man it's gonna be a good one we got a fun episode we got a lot of news obviously miss marvel we're very excited about about that episode 100 we'll be dropping episode 100 this friday july 8th where we will be reviewing thor love and thunder one of the biggest movies of the summer and we will also be doing our all-star selection so far for the year of 2022. Very exciting stuff. Now, Matt, before we get to Friday, before we get to that 100th episode with that sweet draft and our awesome spoiler-filled review, you've already seen Thor Love and Thunder, so let's hear it. Matt, what did you think? Spoiler-free thoughts on Thor Love and Thunder. So this, I, I, I want to start this off with saying that I had so much fun with this movie it is an absolute blast it is it is full of fun and excitement the same way Ragnarok is and it's got all that Taika Waititi Thor juice that everyone's looking for it's 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 what everybody expects this movie to be um my best comparison I have for this movie and for me it just feels so right for other people it might not but you know based on my perception of these movies Thor Ragnarok is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 Love and Thunder is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It is simply more of Ragnarok. It's it's the comedy of Ragnarok turned up. It's the action of Ragnarok turned up. The colors, the style, the music, everything that you love from Ragnarok from a style standpoint, it's just turned up to 11. And so, so often in this movie is that a great thing. There are some times where I think it might get in the way a little bit, but... Um, the plot, the story, the characters, everything is interesting. I was shocked by a lot of this movie. None of it's hyper predictable. And for an action comedy, that's a big thing to not kind of lay your cards out right away. Um, yeah. Christian Bale's incredible. Uh, Jane Foster, uh, Natalie Portman comes back. She's incredible. And of course, Chris, this is Chris Hemsworth in his bag right now. You know what I mean? He's coming off all this success with the Thor character from Ragnarok Infinity War and Endgame. This is him really just owning it a little bit. Him and Taika, you can tell, just had a run on this one. And I'm so excited for people to see it. It is another incredibly fun entry into the MCU. I don't think it's God tier. I, I don't think it's going to crack my top 10, but that doesn't mean that it's not great. Um, you know, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast David and you know this is movie number 29 for the Marvel Cinematic Universe so not top 10 is no it's not a slight on the movie at all I do not think it cracked that threshold and um, I'm excited to see what people think about it for sure yeah I feel like in general we mentioned it uh breaking the top 10 is just that is something to be 
cherished at this moment in time with the MCU. Like being in the top 10 really should mean something, at least in my opinion. Like to me, there are some fundamental just building blocks of the MCU that like have to be in the top 10 at all times. Pretty much most of the Avengers films, Sans, I'd say Ultron, um, you know, we got the Iron Man's Guardians, things, things like that, like that are really the building blocks, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Homecoming, far, No Way Home, in my opinion. You know, there's these things that like cherished, I think, for the MCU. And if Love and Thunder isn't there, Ragnarok, maybe if Love and Thunder isn't there, that's fine. I can't wait to see it. Your your reaction, the reactions I've seen from other people are very exciting to me. Um, it's just interesting seeing today um, reviews are coming out and bit of a mixed bag but we'll see i'm just excited to dive into it finally see it on thursday and really break things down um for friday's episode absolutely and you know as someone who has seen it seeing the, the reviews be kind of a mixed bag i'm not shocked at all and like i said when i made that guardians comparison i'm not comparing the two movies side by side i'm simply saying the same way guardians 2 is just an amplified guardians 1 that's what love and thunder is with Ragnarok. It's it's it, they're playing all the hits again. You know, it's a reu- it's a it's a comeback tour for Taika and Hemsworth. And I can't wait to break it down uh, Friday. We are going to have the machine Richard Nebbins joining us, which is very exciting. And like I said, we will be we're in the halfway point of the year as far as content, as far as the universes you love. We'll be looking at who is shining the most in the first half of 2022. A little pre direct uh, direct awards situation maybe yeah. a little bit which is yep. very very fun speaking of stuff that is very very fun david new segment alert you know what i mean a brand new segment here on the direct podcast ladies and gentlemen welcome in to the wheel of the fantastic now what's going on here is i've created one of those internet wheels where you know you put a list of words in a program and it and it creates a literal price is right wheel for you and you can spin it and it's going to land on a random word things included in this wheel i have 220 terms these are characters from the marvel dc and star wars universe these are projects past present and future from all three said universes anything is on the table anything can come up future characters past characters future movies past movies we're going to be talking about anything and anything, anything and everything under the sun, completely random. So, David, here we go. We're going to dive in. The here first we go. ever Wheel of the Fantastic. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I love this idea, and I can't wait to just, let's just spin it, man. Let's spin this wheel. Let's spin it. And the first topic is Magneto. hey Magneto, our first X-Men here on the Wheel of the Fantastic. Um, We're going to look back 10 years from now when we're still doing the Wheel of the Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be like, Magneto was our first one. (laughs) Our very Um, first. Magneto. Magneto. Yeah, absolutely. Magneto, obviously, the the most popular. What was that? So did he control the wheel? It's it's up for debate. You know what I mean? We never know. It's a virtual wheel, but like Bitcoin is technically a metal, right? Coins Mm -hmm. are metal. That's mm. on the internet, and yeah. can he control the the internet? That's something that we gotta <laughs> talk about with Magneto. Um, obviously, one of the most popular villains um, for the X Men franchise um, in Marvel comics in general. Magneto is yeah. up there with the god tier villains across comic books. Um, so, I guess my question to you is: With Magneto as the talking point, 
whatever eventual X-Men project we get, if it's a series, if it's a movie, if it's a trilogy and a series along, whatever it ends up being, do you think it would be a mistake or the right move to make Magneto the first big bad for the X-Men branch of the MCU? Do I think he would be a mistake? Um, maybe. I think one thing you're How would you finding, feel about it? I would feel like it's a safe bet. Um, that I would also feel like it's a safe bet, but also that I've seen it before. I've seen it a lot before, right? In either generation of the, you know, X-Men universe Fox movies. Um, it was Magneto a lot of the time, kind of being that main villain in a lot of ways, or just being there, right? Being that like anti-hero, then being a villain, just kind of always having an impact. He's a great character. Don't get me wrong. I love one Magneto. Of one of the best characters in those movies. Um, I think that both Ian McKellen and Michael Fassbender did a great job as the role. And that gives me a little caution too, is that, hey, casting this character is going to be really important. Um, we've had some really good actors in this role before that we've seen on the big screen. <clears throat> but what I'd rather see is something new. And that's, you're going to see this a lot. You know, the audience listening right now, Matt, us talking about the X-Men. I think with the MCU, when they actually properly bring them in and try to do like an X-Men series or show or whatever they do, right? You mentioned like maybe spinoff shows and all this stuff. It, they have an incredible amount of characters to work with. I think they need to make it unique and try to do something different, right? Try to, even like with Spider-Man, we saw with Homecoming, right? You know, it's, it, there's Ned, right? There's no Harry. There's no, there's no Norman Osborn. We get, we get Ned as his best friend. Uh, Michelle Jones becomes MJ. There's these little tweaks, right, where it makes it feel fresh and different, yet it's still Spider-Man, right? It's still right. Peter Parker. Um, he calls May May, not necessarily Aunt May all Aunt the time, May. which is like a little more, um, I guess, like up to the times and, you know, kind of she's a little bit younger and stuff like that, right? There's little tweaks like that. And I think with the X-Men, changing, the, shifting a little bit the characters that we're going to fall in love with in the MCU and then bring in these big ones later on, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he's he's a fundamental part of the X-Men, but I think I'd rather see someone else be the first antagonist. Right. And, um, you know, we're going to talk about this more in our news section as well. But the thing about with the X-Men and the MCU is you need to approach it in a very careful way, because if you play your cards too early, you're going to run into the same issues is an interesting word. But the same thing about the um Foxman universe is even when they rebooted it, it was the same characters over and over again, right? And there's exactly. so many X-Men and there's so many stories to tell. Here's my biggest thing about Magneto and the MCU in general is this is the perfect example of a comic book origin being completely timed out. And for those who don't know, Magneto's origin story is that he's a survivor of the Holocaust and that is where his magnetic powers were manifested in that you know, tragedy that was being a prisoner of the Holocaust. That is almost 80 years old at this point. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. cannot realistically have an MCU Magneto be a survivor of the Holocaust and a contemporary foe to the X-Men. This is a great example of Marvel Studios is going to be able to find something in history that can, uh, this is, this sounds so weird to say something Holocaust ish, <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, a tragic backstory for Magneto, but it can't be 
pen to paper, word for word, one for one, because yeah. it's just simply a timed out story. So that's something that they need to do with these characters as well, because not only are the origins of a lot of these characters based in the 60s, we've seen them on live action already on the big screen. So they need to be double creative on how they take, just like with Miss Marvel, take the heart of the origin and adapt it in a very Marvel Studios kind of way. Let's spin yeah. the wheel again. You know what I mean? Let's run this back one more time or you know maybe for the second of three times we don't know <laughs> ladies and gentlemen the wheel of the fantastic lands on rocket raccoon of the guardians of the galaxy Ooh. one of one of the faces of the guardians franchise i would say the guardians is one of the more spread out um franchise as far as who leads it you know what i mean um david i guess i guess i just want to ask you straight up the rocket raccoon character guardian smuggler avenger he's he's a very well-versed character how big of a part do you think he plays in guardians 3 compared to his roles in one and two similar um i would say if not bigger than normal i think let's be honest here guardians volume three it's going to be the last one. I think some deaths may be uh, coming our Already. way. <laughs> and, uh, and and Rocket doesn't have that long of a lifespan, let's remember. And he did not blip away. Uh, that's five extra years on him than most of the other Guardians. Uh, so I think he's going to have a huge role. Uh, I think if I'm like 10 months out from it coming out, I would already be predicting Rocket's going to pass away in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So with that being said, I think he'll have a really impactful role emotionally. And I think it's going to be a huge role. I mean, him, he mentioned expanding into being an Avenger, uh, an Endgame, and just he's just a great character. He works, <clears throat> he works so much better than he ever should. It's incredible um, what Bradley Cooper brings to it, um, what Sean Gunn brings to it, walking around, mm-hmm. always kind of being his place on sets, and obviously what James Gunn brings to it, the writing and the directing. So, yeah. And I, I hope, I, not only do I think, but I hope he has a huge role in this. Yeah. I think that it's really interesting to look at Rocket Raccoon in Guardians 1. Obviously, like I said, it's a very spread out movie, both Guardians 1 and 2. Chris Pratt and Star-Lord, obviously the main character. But as far as importance to the plot, I feel like it's pretty even in 1. In 2, I think it stretches a little more into Pratt, obviously, with the family uh, yeah. stuff. And then the Gamora Nebula tie, uh, story being so good, they get a lot of uh, good front and center stuff as well. With Rocket, I think this is where we dive into the character of Rocket Raccoon a little bit. We've seen him have so much range as an asshole, as a leader, as a sweetheart, as a dick. You know what I mean? All all over the place. (laughs) And I think maybe, like, I hope we get a Rocket Raccoon origin story here because, um, oh, what's the name of the character? The Evolutionary um, is the name of the... (laughs) Stop me if you've heard this before. A Marvel space god that created Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> and right. um, there's a lot of rumors he's going to be a big part of Volume 3. It's it's a tragic backstory. I didn't ask to be made, all that stuff. But what yeah. I think about Rocket Raccoon, how much I'm excited to learn more about him, I think about all the times he has like really made an impact on these movies you think of infinity war his speech with thor is tear worthy you know what i mean like that obviously hemsworth's performance is stellar but like rocket plays with him there in a very realistic kind of way uh guardians of the galaxy volume two i think one of the most crying movies in the mcu i think that movie can make you cry just as much as any other movie because of the yondu death and just how well it's done Mm. a tear rolling down a raccoon's face shouldn't make me emotional but it does every single time 
because yeah. somehow they've made this character so likable, relatable, and uh, there's just so much to digest with Rocket Raccoon. Very excited to see him back in Thor Love and Thunder and also Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. One last spin, one last run for the wheel of the fantastic, and the winner is going to be... Amanda Waller, head Ooh. of Task Force X in the DCEU. David, I guess it's just very broad overall question. After Suicide Squad in 2016 and after the Suicide Squad in 2021, what are your overall opinions on Amanda Waller as a character? She's pretty good. Um, I think she definitely became a better character in the Suicide Squad, along with almost the entire rest of the cast that came back. Um Maybe even Boomerang Man or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Boomer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I like Amanda Waller. Um, I think that she had a really cool, like, it made sense. Like, you really felt her presence in the Suicide Squad. Like, more, like, it felt more, I guess, legitimate. How, like, why she would ask these, like, prisoners to go do this job and how expendable they all really were and how just, like, cutthroat she was, right? She didn't, and the fact that she was, like, just truly a villain right by the end there with you know, human. yeah just not a good person everything of peacemaker and like what's happening at the end where you know we're seeing that like oh this is actually a really bad situation like these they're not superheroes um until polka dot man declares he is one so i really really think that amanda waller has a interesting future in the dceu if they're i mean that's up for debate too like what's going on with the dceu in general but i think she could have an interesting kind of progression like she is one of those characters you could build off of right we saw you know, like peacemaker something like you see that character and you think okay that's real like world building that is a character in this universe we could expand off of that could be mentioned to be understand okay that's who that is um and a good character to keep like they need more characters like that i look in the mcu there's always like been shield agents and hydra and this and that where we've been able to like recognize them see them mention them we know who that is what they mean we need more of that in the DC universe, whatever direction they're heading, because it doesn't just it doesn't, you know, flow, flow freely and connect as well as the MCU does. And th these kinds of characters like Amanda Waller help that if there's just more of them. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you think of 2016 Suicide Squad, uh, it's objectively bad movie, uh, the way it was. Cut, edited, produced, all that stuff. There's a lot of controversy, obviously, with the air cut. It was a different movie on the page than it ended up being on screen. You know, put that controversy aside. What we yeah. got in theaters, objectively not very good. Um, you look for redeeming value in that movie in different places, right? Harley Quinn, obviously, is a shining star, even though in that movie she's, like, not the most interesting character. It's just Margot Robbie being fantastic is what yeah. drives a lot of Harley Quinn in that one. Um, I still, I still like the graphics in the opening part where they show everybody's name and what they do and like the examples of everybody's powers. I'm a sucker for that. But Amanda Waller, I think, is a is the best part of that movie by miles, mm. leaps and bounds, because she is so ruthless. She is so I don't give a damn, all that stuff. And then to bring in the Suicide Squad, knowing what we know about the franchise, knowing what we know about Amanda Waller, that opening scene where she really does start capping people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Rucker does not make it out of the first 15 minutes of that movie because of Amanda Waller. Um, showing the ruthlessness again, just reminding everybody that she is going to screw us over. When you get to the end of the Suicide Squad, for me, I'm sitting there leaning forward. Okay, how is Amanda Waller going to screw everybody over? How is Amanda Waller going to pull the rug out from these characters? Right. That's we've already learned in two movies. That's what she does. 
when they do it in the Suicide Squad with Peacemaker and just how it all plays out, I'm still shocked. I'm still kind of like, oh, I can't believe she did that, even though I'm literally waiting for her to do that. I think that speaks to Viola Davis. I think that speaks to how James Gunn and David Ayer were able to write such a relentless character and not hold back at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like they did not, they were not afraid to make her the baddest bitch on the planet. And then obviously with Peacemaker just doubles up. I cannot wait to see more of Amanda Waller. She's already become a background character with a lot of weight. You know, you mention her and people are like, whoa. And I like that. Yeah. Her her team in the Suicide Squad, her her control room team already got a spinoff. Yeah. Peacemaker. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that's how big she's gotten. I think that um and, you know, just bringing it back to Marvel Studios for a second with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Val, what they're doing with that character moving forward, mm, they need yeah. to be taking lessons from Amanda Waller. You know yeah. what I mean? Don't be afraid to make her objectively ruthless. And yeah, shout out, by the way, shout out Viola Davis in the role. She is excellent, right? One of those Wonderful. things, one of those things where it's like, okay, what are we going to bring back for the Suicide Squad? Like what worked? Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, boom, book it, you're back. Let's roll. It. Absolutely. Yeah. And she's fantastic. And ladies and gentlemen, that has been our first wheel of the fantastic I, a segment. I hope to do more of, we're going to tighten it up. We're going to clean it up as we move forward. But yeah, guys, that's, that's our three talking points today. Magneto, Rocket Raccoon and Amanda Waller. Where else are you going to get that trio of topics here on the direct podcast? And speaking of topics, speaking about the universes you love, we'll go right into the news. Spider-Man wasn't attacking the city. He was trying to save it. That's slander. It is not. I resent that. Slander is spoken. In print, it's libel. Kicking things off with the red brand. It's one of the hottest names in the streets right now. Wolverine of the X-Men. Marvel Studios is in talks with Taron Egerton, and it might be for the MCU's Wolverine. A few details. Taron Egerton, who you might know from Kingsman and Rocketman, where he played uh elton john he told new york times that he has met with the brass at marvel studios including the man with the hat kevin feige himself he said quote i would be excited to take on wolverine but i would be apprehensive as well because hugh is so associated with the role egerton is one of the leading fan cast favorites for the role along with Daniel Ratcliffe has been involved. Tom Hardy is always going to be connected. All these different actors. But Egerton seems to be near the top of fan cast list. David, Egerton's talking to Marvel Studios. Let's start there. How excited are, do you like Taron Egerton as an actor? Kingsman, Rocketman, you know, uh, he was in that Robin Hood movie with Jamie Foxx. Um, you know, he's he's been yeah. around Hollywood for a while now. Do you think he is ready for that Marvel Studios bump? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was actually kind of going to save this for some more fan casting things down the line but egerton is my is my choice for wolverine um i am one of those fans that are casting him um as the character i think he looks the part i think he's a great actor i think i I really enjoy him in the kingsman movies i think he could he he's the kind of actor that i'm looking for in this new mcu x-men version right these x-men entering the mcu like egerton is my kind of ideal pick for Someone who is an established actor, young, you know, youngish, looks the part, um, and I think would just work really well in the universe. Like would fit really well, and kind of I think what he would bring to the table as Wolverine is exactly what I want out of the X Men in the MCU, right? And that we could grow with them, right? Where we start, we start pretty young, and we can grow these characters and branch off. And before 
the, earlier this episode, we talked about Magneto a little bit from the Wheel of, Fan, of the Fantastic. And I'm a little apprehensive for bringing Mag- Magneto in super early. With Wolverine, you kind of have to bring him in somewhat early. He he is the most valuable character they got out of the X-Men acquisition from, you know, obviously Disney buys 20th Century Fox. And if you're Marvel Studios, you're like, yay, I get X-Men. And you're specifically like, yay, I get Wolverine now, who, you know, Fox knew it. They made a bunch of spinoff movies and he was always the star in all the, you know, general X-Men movies. Well, not all of them, but most of them. For the most part. Yeah, for the most part. And in general, yeah, I can't believe he's actually talked to them. That's pretty cool that that, that, that that's out there. Um, I mean, I wonder what this means. I'm excited. I, 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 he would be my right now, unless it's someone else like that I haven't thought of. He right now would be my ideal choice to kind of take over the mantle. I completely agree with Taron Egerton as Wolverine. And I think we can just trim this off our future fan casting spectacular, um, yeah. uh, which is coming on July 20th, by the way. Um, I think we can kind of just shade this off. Taron Egerton is also my fan cast for Wolverine. And, you know, call it chalk, call it John Krasinski all over again. I don't care. He looks the part. He plays the part. Him and Kingsman, we know he has that action comedy chops. Yeah. If you bring in a Marvel Studios writing team and a Marvel Studios directing team to really shape that into something emotional, tragic, sad, whatever they end up doing with the Wolverine character, I think that having someone charismatic behind a tragic Wolverine story is such a valuable asset for Marvel Studios. So Taron Egerton is my Wolverine choice, definitely, for sure. As far as bringing him in right away... Um, I, I wouldn't be mad about it if there was like a Wolverine movie and I hate, I, I actually just watched this movie yesterday, Wolverine origins. Um, it's, it's a, it's very bad, but, um, you know, an origin story for Wolverine as right. a movie, I think could play, I think I liken it to Captain America for the first Avenger where it is a mm-hmm. period piece where it is set back in time a little bit where we can, uh, get a different look at the, the, uh, come up of Wolverine, but when I talk, when I think about Marvel Studios as a whole, when I think about X Men coming into this as I've always seen them coming in as their own brand of Marvel Studios, like I, I feel like we could have an X Men saga the same way we had an Infinity Saga. I think that mm-hmm. could work. I would not. I would be so happy. I think if they had a few different X Men projects, introducing not not even introducing bringing in a few different characters that maybe weren't the face of the Foxman franchise like Wolverine was, Cyclops, Storm, Jean Grey, really flesh those characters out more, the traditional X-Men characters, have an established X-Men team, and then in whatever quote-unquote phase two of X-Men in the MCU is, then bring in Wolverine. I think that's such a big punch. It's bringing Spider-Man in in Civil War. It's such a late addition to the roster that – I mean, think about it. Think about how big it was for the MCU to bring Spider-Man in yeah. 15 movies or whatever it was, right? Like, that was such a big jolt for an already thriving franchise. It's trading for a superstar halfway through the season. It's having somebody come off injury halfway through the season. I think Wolverine could be such a big second-phase character. But with his comic book history, you can develop Wolverine on the side without bringing him into the X-Men at all. You know what I'm saying? Like he could yeah. be the the solo mutant story being told on the side, kind of like what Foxman tried to do, and then bring him back into the fold. But regardless, I think Taron Egerton would be a perfect choice there. His size, his humor, and his excitement all seems to work for me. Sticking with the red brand, David. Mm-hmm. 
Black Panther Wakanda Forever is the next movie on the MCU slate. It is coming out in November. It's it's a big gap between uh, Love and Thunder and uh, Black Panther. Not I mean, not really in numbers. It feels very far away. Yeah. Right. We got a whole summer. We got the beginning of fall to get through. It's going to be holiday ish season by the time Black Panther comes out. It seems very far away. Yeah. Um, But we got our first look at some stuff from Black Panther Wakanda forever. The promo campaign is coming soon, but we got promo art first. This is usually our first looks at characters. We're not going to do a capes and tights segment just because we want a better look at everything. We want to see them in motion before we really break them down. But we got our first right. look at Namor and Namora, the first Atlanteans of the MCU. Uh, David, the Mayan aesthetic, the Mayan motif of the Namor uh, outfit. Are we excited for a cultural um, background for this character outside of simply Atlantis? You know what I mean? The city underwater. Yeah, I'm digging the look so far. Um, I think just purely based on the look, it looks pretty good. I think it fits into what we already saw from like Black Panther and kind of yeah. how they ha- all of their how they look is very like cultural and like rooted in history and not tribal, tribal, um, not like anything else we see in the MCU typically, like not like what Shang Chi's walking around in in San Francisco, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little bit different. So in general, though, I am like based on not based on this at all. Uh, th- this actually got me a little more excited. I am a little dubious in general of them bringing in um, Atlantis and just, you know, 75% of the earth, the, the ocean right into the MCU. It's uh, it's always a little um, I don't I don't love Aquaman. I don't I don't really enjoy that movie. That first movie. I don't really I don't really enjoy Aquaman in general. I think he's kind of an OK character. And I my man. Yeah, my man. I am. A little dubious of this being like a main part of Black Panther. I'm I have full faith in Feige, Ryan Coogler, the MCU. Um, but like with everything going on with this movie, you know, obviously Chadwick not being there, what they're gonna do with the heroes of this story, and now we get the Atlanteans. I'm a little nervous. I'm excited, but I'm not the biggest. Uh, what what's the word? I'm not the biggest like Aqua superhero fan. Sure. I guess I don't really love. <laughs> love the superheroes in water i guess it's like time travel you know what i mean once you bring in an underwater world um you know you kind of open pandora's box a little bit and yeah. you know we saw that with aquaman and, and aquaman's different because he's such an iconic superhero you know like he's one of as weird as it sounds i feel like aquaman's like one of the first five names people who have no idea what superheroes are think of Superman, yeah. Batman, Aquaman, you know, like it's just it feels right. Maybe it's SpongeBob. I know that sounds silly, but maybe it is SpongeBob. The fact that, you know, we had Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy growing up as kids. <laughs> yeah. Like like that's a direct relation. You know, it's it's basically 60s Batman mixed with Aquaman. Um, but it's I like the idea of Atlantis and Namor having a cultural significance to them. Uh, like you said with Shang-Chi, what we're seeing with Miss Marvel over and over again. One of my favorite parts about Black Panther is the costume design and the just the conceptualization of Wakanda and their different tribes. Like you go through the border tribe and the agriculture tribe. I forget the names of them, but like they're all dressed differently. They all have different roles and you can see how they're all like foundational infrastructure world, uh, roles 
for Wakanda. One of them are farmers. One of them um, are miners. One of them is a water tribe, I think is one of the river tribe is what they're called. So there's right. water, there's mining, there's farming. Obviously, uh, the the T'Challa, they don't have last names, do they? No. What would T'Challa's clan be called? Whatever. The Black Panther tribe is <laughs> like technology. Yeah. You know, I like how each one of them has like an infrastructure role to them. The Mayan uh culture being maybe like this religious uh sector of that kind of universe that was put into the water i think that could be a really cool awesome thing as far as like namor's role in this based on this costume i know it's a lot to extrapolate based on a costume but him having such a heritage feel to his look i think is going to give him a really awesome personal backstory and this is where our spinoff potential really comes into play. Mm-hmm. This is where they can make Namor the antagonist of this movie, the classic we got to team up at the end thing that people love from Spider-Man 3. And, love it. Um, and we can spin it off into a Loki where they have their own show and mm-hmm. things like that. So um, I'm very excited for Namor. There's another very interesting update for uh, Black Panther World Hunter Forever. We got our first look at some I- iconography for Riri Williams, a.k.a. AKA Ironheart, for those who mm-hmm. don't know. This is a young girl who goes to MIT who's a big Iron Man fan, who's a super genius, and guess what she does? Makes her own Iron Man suit because Justin Hammer just couldn't <clears throat> get it done. Um, <laughs> splash page of logos. There's some concept art that we're not sure if it's real or not. Our boy Pierre is really doing a lot of investigative journalism on that. Yeah. Um, but um, the idea of obviously Riri Williams going to be in this movie, we know we're going to see her um, maybe even like start to piece together her first suit. David, do you think we get Mark one from Ironheart in Black Panther Wakanda forever? Mm, great question. I would lean yes, just because if she's in the movie, I understand where maybe it's like, hey, you just kind of toss her in. She plays a little bit of a role. You introduce her to the MCU and then she gets her Ironheart Disney Plus show and you kind of are more familiar, right? It's that connective tissue of the MCU, just classically done. Post-credit right gold. Exactly. Um, yeah, right. Maybe in a post-credit scene. That's a great idea. Um, I could see it. I could, it. It depends on how big of a role she's playing in this movie, which I'm not, it's not. To me, at least, I'm not entirely clear of what it is. I, I think almost because I'm getting we're, we're getting some insight right now makes me think that she does play a pretty big role um, or at least like a I don't know, something a, a, a bit of a chunk of the movie, I guess. Maybe she's in. Um, we'll see. I'm excited in general that she's even in this movie. I like like I mentioned earlier that just connecting one thing to the next in the MCU introducing someone in a movie and then they get the tv show kind of like what you were just mentioning earlier with like a possible namor spinoff and stuff like that that's i think a really well done smart way of doing things especially for a new character right like in theory they're not doing one as of right now but like if they were doing an america chavez spinoff series that would make a lot of sense right now right it'd be like okay right we know this character is we could go on some interdimensional journey uh, to like find her parents right that would be cool six episodes marvel studios i know you're listening hit me up um Riri Williams on the <laughs> other hand I, I'm curious I'm very one thing I'm very curious about Riri Williams is the public reception Iron Man Robert Dyne Jr Tony Stark all one and the same at this point the most beloved MCU character bar none in my opinion like bar Absolutely. none and the fact that I can I can already see now people are like oh knock off Iron Man oh female Iron Man oh this that and the other 
it's Both like iron man yeah right right i it makes me a little bit nervous because and you know just for in that perspective as well they need to nail it right riri yeah. williams is the main a character that we really really like because she kind of is in a way stepping into that mantle not completely she's not iron man but in a way she is kind of taking a little bit of that mantle right she's gonna be the the one in armor shooting out lasers and doing all, and flying around right um so probably with an arc reactor exactly so um <laughs> with all that being said uh i'm nervous about the reception of her but i'm excited to see her myself i couldn't agree more it's going to be interesting with um the way they handle her because in the comics, if I understand right, I haven't read many Ironheart comics. He's, she's a relatively new character. She's going to, she's going to beat Miss Marvel's record for newest Marvel comics character to get an MCU project. Yeah. Um, by just like a few months, but Miss Marvel just got the record. Now it's going to be Ironheart. Um, the previous record was Scott Lang's Ant Man, which was introduced in 1979. So other than yeah. Kamala Khan and Ironheart, they've never given a project to anybody in the past 40 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. To think. Um, uh, but the way they handle it in the comics, I believe, like Tony Stark is a hologram mentor to Riri Williams. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Not only have they not established that in the MCU so far, they've established Tom Holland as that. You know what right. I mean? Like they, they've given that uh, mantle role, whatever, to Tom Holland. So I like the idea of her showing up with Black Panther because Shuri could be a genius mentor to her. You know what yeah. I mean? Shuri's just as smart as Tony, if not smarter, heavily established in the MCU. Um, so I like the idea of Shuri and Riri talking about just being geniuses. I like the idea of Riri being smart enough to build a suit. And that's what makes her worthy of being the next Iron Man, simply because she can do it. Um, right. I like all that. When you think about off when you think about introducing a character in one project and them getting their own obviously WandaVision just crushed it with Monica Rambeau and obviously and uh, Agatha Harkness who are both getting their own projects right. um, coming up soon um, but you think of Civil War Black Panther and Spider-Man both introduced in that movie and both post scenes for Civil War are look at the, all these new players that we have look at yep. this sandbox and how big it's getting I like the idea of Wakanda Forever having that same vibe where one post credit scene is Namor one post-credit scene is Riri. Here's the next generation of this branch of the MCU. Very yeah. exciting stuff. I'm going to skip a news story because we are moving right along here. We're going to move over to the blue brand, David. Dwayne Johnson, ever heard of him? Oh, a little. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Arguably the most famous human in the world, The Rock, may have just teased yet another baseless Superman cameo in Black Adam Dwayne Johnson tweets a picture of his logo stitched with the Superman logo. And the quote is, I don't care if there are no cameos, but if there are dot, 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 good one, Dwayne. Good joke there. Uh, David, you kind of talked about it before we started recording. The faceless Superman cameo in the DCU is kind of becoming a joke a little bit. In yeah. Shazam, it was a joke. And I think that was an appropriate joke for that movie. Doing it Peacemaker, also a comedy, did not play as a joke. Felt like a black spot on the franchise. What are your thoughts on yet another, we see Superman, but we don't know who is Superman cameo? I think, and man, this is, I think, first time on the direct podcast. Not my first time here as co-host, but my first, like, David's pissed moment. 
it is the most aggravating thing happening right now in probably comic book movie anything like yeah. it is so frustrating what warner bros and maybe now they have new ownership it's now warner bros discovery there's gonna be some new takeover maybe they will finally figure out because it is david zaslav said it the new owner he said that superman specifically is something they need to tap into more because it's like no shit right like what is happening with this character it is superman you mentioned yeah. earlier listing off superheroes the first one you say is probably superman maybe batman maybe spider-man right but superman is the most iconic the most well-known superhero in existence of all time it is superman and the fact that we're getting now maybe the third baseless stupid shallow um cameo of a superman that's not henry cavill that's not anyone is really upsetting to me you as wb as dc have to get your shit together when it comes to superman he needs to be they need to make a movie I don't know in what universe. I don't care what they do. You, we need to have a Superman, right? Like, if you want to have a DC universe, we're making the Batman. We have the Joker 2 coming out. We've got Shazam. We have the Flash that actually releases, right? Where is <laughs> Superman? We had Man of Steel nearly 10 years ago now. It's not over nine years ago. Man of Steel, a movie that I love. I know it's very um, all over the place when it comes to reception, but a movie that I really enjoy. I understand the critiques. Um but we need another one. We we need a Superman movie, and I think now is a great time. I know we have some things in the in the works happening right now, um, but we haven't heard much about those in a while. About possibly a black Superman coming to us, which I think sounds great. Whatever, I don't care what it is. I just think they need to actually take the character seriously and not just use him as a fun little like cameo tool. I think it's very disrespectful to the character. And that's where I come in. That's that's my thought on the whole thing. I understand the hesitancy to make a Superman movie. You tried to make a Superman trilogy that takes him off the board, which solves what many people in comic book movies call the Superman problem, where if Superman's a part of a movie and something's happening, it doesn't make sense that it's not getting fixed very quickly because it's Superman. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like Superman on the Justice League in cartoons is very different than Superman in live action because why doesn't Superman just fix everything like he does at the end of Justice League? Right. Um, it's And we talked about it a lot with Thor. You know, you have to take your Superman off the board a lot of the times so the other characters can get their play. That's fine. It's a difficult thing to do. So I understand the hesitancy. If you're not going to get like, let us know who Superman is, if you're not going to cast publicly Superman in the DCEU or come back and say it's still Henry Cavill, stop putting him in stuff. Yeah. Just stop using him. I don't understand why you have to. In Shazam. When Superman walks into the lunchroom and his head's cut off, I think everybody kind of took that because the world hadn't fallen apart on the DCEU quite yet. I think everybody kind of took that as, oh, Henry Cavill wasn't available, but look how fun. They still got the suit. They still have Superman. You know what I mean? Like, like I I saw that as fun because that's what that movie is. It's a fun kids movie in a lot of different ways. Um, But what they did with Peacemaker, I think, is Morbius levels of non-awareness. They were not aware of the situation at all because putting him and um, what we think is Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman in there in shadowed face, like full body. We just don't see their face. They're so unaware of how heightened everybody's senses are to who is Superman. Yeah, You know, I feel like whoever made that decision, James Gunn or otherwise, thought 
you know, oh, they did it in Shazam. We can do it here. Things are different now. We don't know for sure if it's Henry Cavill. We don't know right. for sure who it is. If you do it here in Black Adam, which looks like not a bad superhero movie, but a very generic superhero movie. If you do it again where it is just Superman flying off in the distance and The Rock's like, huh, who's that guy? And we never see his face. There's going to be an uproar. Who is Superman? I don't even think that it's, in, you know, I you have your opinions, I have mine. I don't think there's a rush to make a Superman movie. But if you're not going to make a Superman movie, stop putting him in things. Because it's just going to make everybody want Man of Steel 2 again. Or something yeah. completely different. They seem to not want to do either. And one, uh, adding on top of that, it's losing its the specialness of it, right? Like, it, if, you, if, we keep see, if we keep seeing the Superman suit with no actual Superman, it's like when he finally does reappear, if there is a movie at some point where he is actually back in a full form, maybe it's not Henry Cavill, but someone, it's like you lose a little bit of that sparkle. You lose 100%. a little bit of that Superman returns, right? It feels like he's like, oh, he's kind of been here, here and there. But like, there's no real presence felt at all, too. Yeah. That's the thing where these cameos, there's not that presence because there is no actor behind it. It's just like, okay, the emblem, right? It means hope. Cool. Thanks. See you later. Roll credits. I don't know. It, it drives me nuts. And it's like they want us to fill in who the actor is. Why would they want us to do that? Why would they want us to be upset it's not Henry Cavill or... Be mad they haven't announced who it is yet. I just don't I don't understand it at all. Let's move on to something I do understand because it was laid out very clearly by a producer. Andor is coming at the end of August. In news from a galaxy far, far away, the structure of the Andor series has been announced. And David, this is interesting. All right? Yes. Very. We've heard for many months now, many moons, all the moons, all the moon nights. We've heard for a long time. The Andor is going to be set four years before Rogue One, where we know where the character ends up uh, dying. It was broken down by a producer recently that season one will cover one year of Andor's life, 12 episodes spanning one year. Season two, that's already been announced and is in production, will cover three years with uh, three episodes acting as one year. Very interesting. It's very interesting how up front they are about this you mm-hmm. know what i mean how this is like they almost want to market it this way what are your thoughts as somebody who's very excited for the show that season one will be one year over many episodes and then there will be a time jump kind of vibe in season two i love it um to me this is an example of hey we have this story here's how we're going to tell it here's why it makes sense for it to be a series not a movie necessarily right um i keep kind of going back to this where it's like producers whoever's in charge, directors, writers, right now they're being told, hey, this needs to be a series. Go, right? This, whatever project this is, that has to be a series. Make it a series. You are forced to make this a series, right? Um, We saw it with Obi-Wan Kenobi. They literally basically, from exclusive from the direct.com, almost kind of admitted that, right? It was going to be a trilogy maybe of movies. And then it's like, nope, no, nope. Uh, Solo flopped. Okay, make it must be a series. Figure it out. Um, And I still love that show. But with Andor, this feels more natural. This feels feel like, hey, we have this story to tell over two seasons. Two seasons. It just happens to be two seasons. We're going to do this much in 12 episodes. It's going to cover a year. And then we're going to really make things move in season two, leading right up to Rogue One. I think we're entering a really cool state of Star Wars where we're getting that we're adding in those times, those time gaps between episodes three and four, right? Between uh, Revenge of the Sith, to be clear, 
and A New Hope, where we have Fallen Order, the video game. We have Obi-Wan Kenobi. We have Rogue One. Now kind of filling in before Rogue One, getting that casting and Andor story leading up to that. It's it's making for if Andor is a good show, which it looked phenomenal based on the trailer. If it's a good show, I think we have a I mean, it is lining up to be a great rewatchability section for Star Wars, right? For Revenge of the Sith, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Andor, Rogue One, A New Hope. That is an awesome lineup if Andor turns out. And I really like, I think it's very unique. And I think it's really cool the route they're going with this Andor show. I've never watched True Detective, but I, if I understand right, it has a time jump quality to it as well, where it kind of bounces around to different times. Um, so I, it can be done well. People absolutely adore that show. They say it's the best season of television ever. Um, right. What I like about this and what I'm most excited about Andor, I'm excited for Cassie and Andor. I love Diego Luga. I think he's going to be great mm. in whatever role he has. That one scene in Rogue One where he's like doing the behind the scenes deal with the guy. You know what yeah. I mean? He's being all sneaky and like hiding yep. behind corners and shit. I want that to be the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I'm most excited about for Andor, and I've been talking about it for weeks, I hope this is a early look at the rebellion or like in Rogue One, the rebellion at its like peak spy status. Yeah. You know, because like when you think about a new hope and like where the rebellion is, that's kind of their victory. They won. In yep. a lot of ways, uh, uh, that's that's what they base Star Wars timelines on before Yavin and after Yavin. Correct. And like, and, so like that. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, well, I was going to say, and really by A New Hope, there is a fully established rebellion. First scene of the movie, you know, uh, yeah, Darth Vader calls out Leia there. for. Yeah, right. Like he calls her out for being a part of the rebellion. So it's really this established thing by then. I think you're right. I think Andor will be part of those, you know, building blocks, establishing that rebellion because. We're seeing it, and it's cool too. Like talking about the rewatchability, we see in Obi Wan those little steps as well. Right. You know, with the, yeah. the path and all of this, where it's very early on, it seems like you're taking a lot more losses than wins in that ten years after Revenge of the Sith. But when you get closer to Episode Four, uh, to the Battle of Yavin, a, a few more wins, right? A few. Yeah. There's more seeds planted throughout the years where now they can really sprout and grow, and leads to the you know. The Death Star blowing up eventually. I think of three things when I think about the the building of the rebellion that in that gap that you're talking about. I think of that line in Solo where they get the hyper fuel or whatever the the fuel was they were going for. Sure, whatever it is, I have no whatever idea. The fuel is there's a thing, <laughs> the, the thing in the Solo movie. It's yes. actually a really cool line by the Flag Smasher lady. She goes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, this is hope. You know, we're starting something with this. This this is going to be big. You know, and I like that line because it's like, oh, she's going to start right. something with that. We think maybe it's a rebellion in Obi-Wan Kenobi, O'Shea Jackson. He's like, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is like, hey, thank you for everything you've done. And O'Shea Jackson's reaction. Hey, I'm just getting started. Yeah, right. I got chills thinking about it. Like what a dope ass line for someone who's starting the rebellion. And then yep. in Rogue One, Diego Luga, that incredible speech. You know, I've been in this my whole life. I don't get to pick and choose where I fall. Like I've been I've been here. That kind of thing. The way now circling all back, the way these seasons are set up, I love the idea of season one really, like you said, being that building block of the rebellion. We're going to look at the actual foundation of like the first rebellion mission or the first rebellion, this, whatever it might be. Right. 
And with the time jumps in season two, we can see it really evolve through three episodes at a time and really see all the different stages of the rebellion building their dynasty, building their franchise before they get to that first Super Bowl win in A New Hope. Yeah, I love that idea. I'm very excited for that sector of Star Wars. And I'm also excited about everything else in the universes you love, including Miss Marvel Episode 5. Your great-grandmother's story is of legend. When you're ready, we have much to discuss. Ladies and gentlemen, the penultimate episode of Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel, episode five, has arrived. We have one episode left of this coming-of-age series in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. David, big episode. You know, we only got one left, and we had a lot of questions going in. Interested to see where you stand coming out. Episode five, overall spoiler free thoughts, dude. I really enjoyed this episode Um, and it's a change of pace. It is an interesting way of telling this story, but I actually think and we'll talk more when we get into spoilers in one second. But I think that this episode was a bit of a requirement. I really think that it gave us some great background information on what's happening, why we should care. Um, It kind of fills in some gaps for us, maybe helps out a little bit more with like why it's Kamala, the mythology of it all, some emotional beats. Um, I thought that the first, specifically the first like 25 minutes-ish of this episode were like really great. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then, you know, at the end, we're kind of pulling things back together. But overall, um, I can see where someone wouldn't maybe like this episode and would be maybe surprised by it, um, not really interested in it, like maybe like kind of shut off themselves from it. But for me... It was great. I actually really, really enjoyed it. And this show keeps showing me how creative they are, um, how they're not scared to take risks, how they're not scared to tell the story that they want to tell. Um, and I can't wait for the finale. I kind of wish that there was more. I'm surprised we only get one more, probably 40-ish minute episode. It feels like there's just, there's more to tell than that because of how the story's been going. Like it, it's really kind of it feels kind of stretched out in a way. Um, and it's only six episodes, so it's all of a sudden just going to come to an end here. Uh, but Matt, what did you think? I really, I, I enjoyed this episode. It's a super interesting episode. I was very engaged Mm. with everything going on. Um, comparing it to the rest of the season, I'm not, you know, not my favorite, not my least favorite by any means, but like comparing it to the rest of the season, the things I loved about Miss Marvel going into episode five was the charm, the charisma, the family dynamics. Not The family story is very much present here. The family dynamics is what I was really enjoying. All those things that made this such a lovable show. A lot of that is absent here, and we'll get into why uh, here in a second. A lot of that is absent here. So on that respect, I'm a little more down on this episode because it's not the Miss Marvel stuff I have loved so far. But they did do something different. They did take a risk. They did totally pivot on us and off-speed pitch. Um, compared to what they've been throwing lately, full of heart, full of interesting characters that we've heard notes of, but we're finally getting to see them fleshed out a little bit more. And just the overall aesthetic of this one, just like the rest of the show, feels so authentic and organic and engaging. You know what I mean? You know, they they weren't in the most exciting places. This is not the City of Lights uh, uh, Koresh that we were in last week. This is a very different time, different period piece type episode. And I think they crushed Mm -hmm. that. They made me feel a part of it. So um, I'm let down um, in a lot of ways because it it 
scaled back on a lot of the Miss Marvel stuff I've been really enjoying, but what they filled it in with super engaging, super interesting. Um, I, I, I definitely a slower episode, but they make up for it with a lot of heart. And like you said, a lot of exploration that I think is super necessary to care <laughs> about uh, right. what, what ends up happening throughout this one. So um, without further ado, I think we get into spoilers, 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 David, I haven't told you yet, but I have a very fun idea for what our spoiler transition can be. Um, yeah. Forward. I think, I think it could be a good one. Are you a Michael Keaton fan by chance? Yeah. Big time. So maybe we get some Michael Keaton going on. Just a little tease. Nice. Just a little nice. tease there for you. Um, you know, David, we were talking this episode very much segmented into three parts. Uh, you know, we'll get into it right now, I guess. We start with a flashback. We are very much in a flashback, 1942, um, India. Uh, during apartheid, we get to we get to meet Kamala's family, and it starts here with the flashback: Aisha and Hassan, Kamala's great grandparents. David, I have a question for you. Sure. Have, have there ever been two more attractive people on screen together than Aisha and Hassan in this flashback scene? I mean, good okay, Lord. okay. So I love the question. Um, immediate, like a couple that comes to mind in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is um uh what what's uh icarus and uh, what, what's her name yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. um great attractive another another attractive couple <laughs> um but yes this one is definitely up there specifically for the mcu specifically just in in cinema in general um and i was i, thought, I was flustered the entire episode yeah. looking at these <laughs> yeah no it was great i thought and i thought they actually had good chemistry too uh beyond everything else like that i thought they actually uh played it off very well or like you know played off each other very well yeah and i think that it's it's so fun we've been hearing about aisha since episode one right. since day one we've either been hearing about kamala's grandmother telling these crazy stories or how aisha is this polarizing figure in these crazy stories and getting to meet aisha in the flesh you know full full-fledged um character development here you know we meet her at the beginning how they meet hassan their relationship I bought into immediately. I thought they had a ton of chemistry together. Very romantic, very poetry-driven kind of relationship. But you got it really quickly, I feel like. I was I was roped in right away. Um, you know, this, this show, the whole theme of this show has been family, right? And I think when you look at the Infinity Saga, you know, pre-Phase 4, the only family-driven projects, really, like there's been elements of family everywhere, Guardians, and Ant-Man. I feel like those are the most family-driven IPs in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In yeah. Phase 4, we've already gotten so much of that in Shang-Chi and then now here in Miss Marvel. Um, David, did you get any did you get any catchings here of the Win Wu and Shang-Chi's mom scene um, from Shang-Chi Legend of the Ten Rings with this flashback with Aisha and Hassan? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, kind of to go all over the place here just with this like part one section where sure. we're talking about this flashback. Um, I think the family element to this show is the most, the strongest element of the show, I guess I would say. Um, I know the style is awesome. The like cool artistic flair, a part of it too. The charisma, the, you know, street level New York City. The family element to me is why I care about this show the most and why I'm going to care about Kamala Khan in the future, because I know all the history. I know her background. It makes me care so much more than someone that I don't really know. And they're doing such a great job, in my opinion, of really developing this character in a real way, in a real heart driven 
fundamental like human way i guess is a way of putting it like we care about this family and i'm not gonna lie like the more i think about it the more high i am especially about this part one this flashback scene because the way they interweave the way they connect everything together with like kamala herself like and everything with the bangle is just so good like i don't know how you feel but to me like this was a pivotal moment in the show and I think they crushed it. Like, I love how they brought in this flashback. We get Aisha. We, we kind of, we, like you said, we kind of get to actually see what we've been hearing about all this time. Right. And I thought they hit it out of the park personally. Yeah. I think that, I think that, you know, I, I've been thinking about the Shang-Chi scene with Wu, and I don't remember his mom's name. Um, if, if we can maybe get a research department on that, that'd be awesome. But <laughs> yeah. uh, Wu and uh, Shang-Chi's mom, that whole scene, I thought had very similar vibes where like, you know, obviously it's a movie and a TV show, so it's a little different, but we get to really see the hows and whys of Shang-Chi the way he is. And I feel like you get a lot of, uh, we get a lot of Kamala, we get a lot of Nani, we get a lot of um, Ami. A lot of Kamala's family members are represented in this scene with Aisha and Hassan. I guess the only thing I'm missing to enjoy it, I guess, as much as I did, that Shang-Chi flashback stuff, mm. was the scene where Shang-Chi's mom is explaining Tao Lo and the dragons and the power and all those things. A very mystical, fairy tale like thing here, but we didn't really get that with Aisha and where she's from and you know that other realm how she's magic we get one line you know you've always said i was magic take a look which you know i thought played really well i i love so much that the engraving on the bangle is the poem that they right. when they met they first talked about i love that so much i just wish that maybe we got a little more exploration there to the hows and whys of whatever the magic going on is because when we do get to this next part it feels a little like we were last week where we're asking a lot of questions and it, it just feels kind of like empty comic book magic stuff. Yeah. But right. The way they're wrapping this all in such great family elements. I'm, I'm kind of willing to forgive that. I'm kind of willing yeah. to look past that because I am so engaged with these characters and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, one quick shout out. Uh, Shang-Chi's mom's name is Ying Li. Ying um, Li. Just to throw that out there. Um, but anyway, one other thing, the still on this family part and just this beginning section of the episode, the the way they're approaching the history here yeah. of what's happening in India with England and, you know, just all around this like World War Two so cool. um, time. It's amazing. Like, I, I think it's so cool. I'm not even a big history buff. Right. Yeah. But those that are, I think, would find this so interesting because it's not like rewriting history or anything. It's not like um, Captain America. Where all of a sudden you like they kind of rewrite World War II and there's you know Hydra and there's Captain America and all this stuff and it's still it's like that that's cool too. Um, it's fun being in this era, right? It would have been really fun to see some sort of Cap something, um, <laughs> a little poster, some. Uh, dude, I was thinking about it, man. When I Me saw too. the year, I was like, dude, if Steve Rogers shows up here, that would be. Like just, imagine just Kamala give... in 1942 meeting Steve Rogers. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> It also would have been probably a bit of a distraction, but it still would have been awesome. Um, <laughs> That's Mando. That's Mando and Book of Boba. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, um, I think like the interweaving the like actual history of what's happening and not, you know, it's not American history. It, it has nothing to do with the United States of America. It's like this other kind of um, history and fundamentally making that a part of Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel's character, I think is a real success here. 
Absolutely. It's very cool. And and they like like we said a couple weeks ago, they've been talking for weeks leading up to the show how her powers and her heritage play such a huge role. And people just thought that that was showrunner talk, like coach speak. Right. You know, you're just saying yep. what you got to say to sell the show. They meant it and they really dove in here. I love the presentation of all the history stuff as well. I mean, a Marvel opening that's a little a variant Marvel opening. Always here for that. Always yeah. a big fan of that. Um, so I, I, I agree this first part, this flashback scene, you know, I, I really don't have any issues with it across the board. It's the transition into Kamala being there that I just feel lacks a little bit of that interesting explanation that moves into part mm. two where Kamala shows up in the flashback through Aisha, basically kind of calling her and, and, you know, explain this to me differently if I'm misunderstanding, but she kind of just kind of hails the bangle to bring I think she meant to bring uh, Sonia in um, from the future and help, you know, guide her back to her father, which was awesome. But I I guess I want to ask you, do do you understand the explanation of how Kamala got there? It really felt like Aisha brought her there, which that's the kind of thing that seems a little surface level to me. Interesting. Um, It's kind of funny because, yeah, I see what you're saying, but. What my perspective was, was that, yeah, she, Aisha, like, calls for someone. It's not necessarily calls for Kamala, but she sure, calls sure. for, like, someone to, like, come, who, whoever has the bangle, like, whoever holds this, you know, whoever is so worthy, right? He should be um, yeah. A- and he, she calls out for whoever. Kamala's the one that has it now. Yeah. Comes in. Um, And I thought it was incredibly powerful. Now, because... Then to me, I started all making sense. It's like, oh, okay, this is some cool, like magic, mystical time travel shit that I love. Um, I thought this was like so cool how it's like, oh shit, like she she was actually there, like she's actually doing this right now. And there is this like um perfect loop moment, right? Where like you could see like if it was like a time travel show, it'd be like, uh oh, we can't yeah. mess up this moment. This is a um, what do they call it? Not a breaking point, a nexus a, uh, point, a nexus point, maybe, right? Where it's like this has to happen in order for you to happen, right? It's like if she didn't do this, all of a sudden her picture would be disappearing right back to the yeah, future. Um, so cool. I mean, to back me. to the like, future is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. According to Miss Marvel, it's true. All true. Um, yeah, yeah. But no, it's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eat that. Uh, talk about that in your podcast, Ant-Man. Miss Marvel makes it makes it matter. Um, it's not bullshit. Anyway, yeah. uh, I thought it was really cool how the way they spun that. Um, I understand the surface level element. I thought that the more surface level thing to me is what you mentioned earlier, where there's not that, like you mentioned, it was Shang-Chi and Ying Li, his mother. Uh, there's not that moment of like talking about the mythos of it. There's none of that here. Um, yeah. And then in our, our next part where we kind of get the veil, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> we, got, yeah, <laughs> right? we got that explained to us in the past that the veil exists and here's what it is. It's a gateway between worlds, all this stuff. Right. It's just, I never, and I've spent so much time during the show caring about the characters so much that I've never really worried that I don't, I just don't have the same level of investment in the mythos of it. Like you were saying, that's a great way to put it. And I just, I figured they had a lot of opportunity in this episode to make us care about the mythos a little bit more with Aisha. I always thought meeting Aisha was going to make us buy into the mythology of the Bengal and where they're from and this power and all this stuff. And mm. it's, it's not like they didn't draw attention to it. They did 
quote unquote, explain it. It's just, I wish that was as interesting as the character dynamics throughout this show, but you know, it's not a perfect show. It's never and you know, I'm okay. I'm very okay saying that it's not perfect. I do care about the characters enough to still be very bought in because it is a powerful moment when Kamala says it was, it was me the whole time. Shout out to my buddy, Mitch Lawson, who, was like very much called that she he 100 percent called that it was going to be kamala that guided his grand uh her grandmother to her great-grandfather and that was such an awesome scene um but then when you know once we get that once we kind of get the moment of kamala quote fulfilling her destiny i guess is a great way to put it um obviously aisha gets stabbed which is a very weird cut (laughs) <laughs> they put in where we cut back and then yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Naj- yeah. I was Najma's just an evil bitch, dude. <laughs> yeah, Najma's just kind of out there in this one, right? Like I, she's kind of just wild in yeah. this show. She she seems very like, and what's crazy? That's like honestly, I'd say the Najma character is probably the weakest character so far in this show. Like she just kind of appears, is Kamran's like mother, right? Uh, yeah. We guess. She doesn't age and all this. And then it's just like, there's that immediate like heel turn. And what is that? Episode three, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it, it's it. There's not even a scene in between. Hey, we're going to help you. <laughs> Screw this shit. Yeah. Like there's no, and you would, I think a better way of doing that possibly would have been like kind of Najwa actually genuinely bringing Kamala under her wing a little bit. And right. then the like betrayal, there was no mm-hmm. real betrayal here. She's just kind of like batshit crazy, like g- moving forward. Right. And yeah. even in this. In the past, right? It's like the same. It's the same. She's like the same, same exact same character yeah. back in the forties, right? So, um, I will say, like, on just kind of before we move on to the last part, I I thought it was very powerful. Um, Kamala being the one that saves her grandmother, and the very fact good. back later where we get the grandmother back, and it's like, holy shit, this connection now means so much more than it did ten minutes ago, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like, and she's not like. Nani isn't this like crazy woman. She just she, she was this little girl where the, she saw these crazy things and and then she knows that there's this family like magic there. There's this yeah. family history and um yeah, I thought that was very special. I genuinely almost was tearing up uh during a scene in this episode. I I am right there with you when she goes to and, and we move on to the next part and we'll talk about yeah. it, trust me. But um when we go to uh Nani explaining to Kamala's mother like hey I told you it was real what do you think I've been telling you like all of that very fun and cheeky but like so much heart behind that because Kamala is so bought in now and I love that right yeah I'm I'm a huge fan of how they played all of that honestly like and and I mean it other than I I can't get off the word mythos because it's so exactly what I'm missing is the mythos of this other than that though I'm so high on all of it because it's so well done and um, yeah. shout out to Mawish Hayat, who plays Aisha. And mm. I can't find the actor who plays Hassan, but those two crushed it. You know, they're probably never coming back. The great grandparents here stole the show for me. They were awesome. So before I, we move the on, Hassan character, I actually think was like phenomenal. The way he kind of set him up. He really, he really cares about like what's happening in the world. Like he does. This is real conflict happening. He's torn apart. Like he's trying to rally people together. And then like the connection there, I thought for the amount of time they gave it, they killed well it. Done. Yeah. Yeah. What you seek is seeking you love that great theme. Of the yep. movie. Um, so we do move on to part three where Kamala gets brought back to the current fight in India it's her and the clandestines and the red dagger kid is there and everybody's just kind of knocked out whatever um yeah and we get there and the veil like is, where we were 
Yeah, hundred percent. Very CW, like ooh, everybody kind of woozy waking up. But hey, you know that's that's TV, baby. You know you gotta yeah. you gotta rock that sometimes. Um, the veil's opening up. Big moment for these clandestines. Obviously, the doors finally open. We did it. I don't know what we did, but we did it. The first clandestine lady tries to walk in. Not so much. Gets captured in the magic, but it's more of a stone. Her skeleton shows, and then it falls. I thought that was a very brutal effect that they put in there, yeah, um, especially when they bring it back later with Najma. But um, yep. the veil is open. The clandestines want to get home, but turns out they were wrong the whole time. What? They can't get home. It's just going to destroy everything. This this is where I wish I cared a little bit more about the house right, and why's of right. everything, and that's what I was talking about earlier. Um, but you know, we don't get a ton of, you know, problem solving here. Kamala has a great scene protecting everybody. Um, Kamala is very much taking charge. I gotta, I gotta try to stop this thing, all this stuff. Najman tries to go home. She can't. Um, and then the sacrifice to Kamran. What do we think of this whole scene? Najma's kind of sacrifice here. It, and this is where I think, you know, the lack of development for this character and this mythos really shine, not shines. It's, it's very spotlighted here. Shows. Yeah. Wink, uh, weak link of the, sh- of this episode, I would say, and kind of like a, a through yeah. line of the weak link of the show, I would say, um, like you said, you're, you're pointing, you're nailing it. Um, the fact that we don't really understand the veil and we were, I guess we're just not going to, um, why is it so host, uh, hostile, right? What, why is it taking like why is it just like killing them you know we don't really un- we don't fully understand it it kind of reminds me of um in doctor strange where uh like dormammu finally like they want to go to dormammu go to the dark dimension and like serve him but then when they do they become these like gross skeleton demon yeah. things right um they're they're clearly like deceived as to what it is but what's interesting to me in that i think you're right we still have questions as to like Okay, but what's the good side of the veil, right? Because you assume that whatever's happening with Kamala Khan's family, um, when it comes to the bangle and her powers, like just come Aisha, from that, yeah. right? Isn't that the understanding? Uh, unless I'm getting that wrong. Um, no, yeah, but there is really a agree. yeah, it's like the connection to that veil, to that alternate kind of like pocket dimension, as we talked about, the similarities to Talo. Definitely not great. Um, I also thought in the end, what kind of how I read this is like okay at the end of the day um najma was kind of just a a story beat to get kamran the powers that's kind of my final thought on that where it's like okay makes sense you want to get the kid the power and then we go on to a season two three four or five or whatever you know whatever ends up happening with the character was like okay get this young actor the superpowers that's how i read it anyway i completely agree and and it you know, point blank, it felt unearned. You know, it just, I didn't feel like Najma deserved that moment where she gets to die a good guy and, you know, grant this great power onto Kamran yeah. that we still don't understand. You know what I mean? And again, and I, I keep harping on this. I promise I'll shut up. If we cared a little bit more about the hows and whys of that part of the story, I think that moment may have hit a little harder. Um, and it's just, it's so interesting seeing that contrasted with how much I care about the family, how much I care about Kamala and her parents. And just that whole story beat is just so well done and organically yeah. um, thoughtful. This one feels very tacked on just to, you know, get the powers to where we need them to be for whatever this second whatever this finale is going to give us because i feel like we're done with the um norel i forget the name of the realm i I really should have done a little more writing down here it's early guys but um (laughs) uh, we seem to be done with the mythical side of this 
because Kamala right. has her power. She understands, you know, that they're a part of her family. She's understanding how to use them. Cameron now has his powers as well. He very much is aware of all the situations. I don't know if we're going to go back to that at all. Do you feel like this was the end of the mystical side of all this? I mean, I think they just call it the Noor d- dimension, right? The Noor, yeah, uh, yeah, that's what it is. Is that, yeah, okay. Um, Do you think and this that's is the end like- of the Noor storyline moving forward? Because it feels very resolute. I agree. I, I believe it is. And I think that's a bit of a criticism I have. And mm-hmm. I tweeted it out earlier today when I finished the episode. It's like, this feels like an eight-parter, not a six-parter. Yep. Um, because I feel like in six, now we're just going to go back to the States, deal with damage control, and put a bow on it. And then yeah. she's gonna, and then Carol Danvers <laughs> is going to be there, right? And she'll have her moment where she's in the cool suit. We had that moment at the end of this episode where we have a little, like, ass Stop cool. It. The suit, love is it. So, I love it. Again and so and then we'll, and then we'll get the like she sits on the she'll sit on the you know uh, the the light post and all that good stuff. But I do I agree. I think if you want to directly compare, which I think it should be directly compared to Shang Chi in this case, like they handled the mythos of that story so much better than this. Yeah. The issue is, I don't mind. Once again, I'm I'm in that kind of mindset. It's like, hey guys, make this Kamala Khan. Um, you know, series in six episodes. Okay, figure it out. Great. And if if that was the assignment, right? If it's like, all right, make a series, make it six episodes. Maybe they don't, maybe they weren't assigned six episodes, but let's just say that, hey, make a series. Okay, let's do this. Let's write it out. If you're going to have like three things to focus on, her powers, the family, and the mystical veil, I, I guess the powers and the family would be the two things you would put at the forefront because that's what it feels like. It feels like those two things are what they really have focused on in the writing. And the other, the veil um najma have just been a bit of a plot device i guess to kind of keep things moving forward yeah just it's not vital it's not super important there's no like big bad waiting behind uh the newer dimension that we know of yet right maybe it'll be explored later um it's interesting to me that this character is going to be in the marvels next and not like a season two because i feel like there's so much more i mean dude i she is the reason i'm excited for that movie right now um and in general it's interesting because she's so we'll see what happens in episode six but i think there's so much more room to grow with this character it was cool i I will say we were talking about how kind of the negatives of that scene of her the sacrifice um and the veil and everything i did love the superhero stuff with miss marvel there the protection the shield using the wall um i thought spider-man action scenes i'm not punching anybody i'm saving people exactly that's exactly it and man do i want her to interact with a spider if a spider-man it doesn't have to be tom holland just dude miles morales in the same universe oh my gosh would that kill have you seen stranger things yet of course caleb mclaughlin needs to be miles morales man that kid was a superstar in the finale for those who don't know uh, lucas from stranger things Made me cry. Made me cry. Um, he, he's a great stunning actor. performance by that guy. Yeah, stunning performance. It was amazing. The whole crew. Yeah, great show. But um, yeah, I agree with you that that's definitely the weakest link is the veil and this and, and makes the next episode uh, moving forward. And uh, just quick shout out to Kamala, um, her mother and her grandmother. That whole relationship, amazing, truly amazing. How Kamala is getting closer to her mom through her grandmother. And they already have their issues and all that stuff. They are bonded, and it's just so, so, so good. Loved it. Um, the old, the old '90s pictures or the old '80s pictures of Kamala's mom. That was 
money, man. It was very, yeah. good. very, very good. I love that line. Uh, how come you never told me this? You never asked, but we got a lot of stories. We got a lot of them. You know what I mean? That, that right. seems very, uh, you know, South Asian culture, kind of like, you know, the, the person, the personal relationships between parents and kids from what I understand is just, it's very different than here. You know, it's much more strict and much more formal, but her mom's just like, Hey, yeah, ask. I got plenty of stories to tell. Um, <laughs> right. Love that. But moving on to the next episode, it makes it so interesting because I feel like we got so much resolution and we got so much closure with the family stuff and Kamala and her mom and the powers and all these things seem to be at a point. Next episode, I very much worry and fear we're just going to get thrown into Kamala being back in Jersey and now has to help Kamran and Bruno get away from damage control. And there's this big fight. And um, I, I'm, I'm for that. I can't I feel like they're going to use this finale to display her power set better than they have um, before. And I think they've done a great job showing it. This is going to be a full-fledged hero moment scene, not just a landing or anything, a full hero scene showing Kamala as a more fully developed Miss Marvel, at least from like, I have my powers now thing. There, there are still emotional story beats to be wrapped up. Kamala and Nakia, Kamala and Bruno, Kamala and Cameron, Cameron and Bruno seem to be kind of boys now. All of those things. Moving into next week, I guess, which storyline are you most interested in now that all the Kamala stuff seems to be wrapped up? Cameron's powers and how he's going to use those. Damage control and their pursuit of Miss Marvel and now Cameron. Or Kamala and all of her friends, you know, doing the hey guys thing. (laughs) Yeah, right on. Um, I would say not Cameron's powers. Like to me, that seemed a little bit forced like i said earlier like or just not forced but just like okay got it like yeah. he, now he's gonna have powers um i'm really excited one thing you didn't mention that i'm really excited for is something you've mentioned previously uh kamala and bruno yeah. reuniting and what how that storyline ends in this season like that actually is what i'm probably most curious about because i can kind of predict all right she gets the suit that'll be it, it, I'll, I mean, i'm gonna enjoy awesome. it but like story, like plot wise, it's not going to be this huge twist. I don't think where it's like, all right, she gets suit. We're back in Jersey. We're fighting damage control. We're doing things. We're hitting drones. We're doing Spider-Man far from home. Um, what I want to see is what is the resolution with Kamala and or Kamala, however you pronounce it. I I, I literally I think it's both. I could be wrong. I'm a white guy. I don't really know. Same. And I always go back and forth. Um, yeah. It's yeah. anyway. Um, and Bruno. Because I want to see like that has been that that's another very well developed thing in this show is that relationship how Bruno um what's the school he got into oh gosh Caltech uh, Caltech thank you um and it was far the same away. school Alex Dumphy gets into in the hit show Modern Family there you go there it is um <laughs> Bruno gets into Caltech there's that whole question Bruno clearly has a crush on Kamala um <laughs> Kamala has options though she's got plenty of options we got Bruno the best friend. We got Kareem, the cool guy that now has powers. Kamran. Or not, not Kareem. Uh, Kamran that now has powers. And then also Kareem, who's mm-hmm. also dope um, yeah. and has his own, you know, kind of power set with his mixed martial arts and all that good stuff. So anyway. Hey, scarf. Hey. That was cool. Let's that go. was cool. <laughs> it was like, all right. It was like, it, that was such a little like, see you later. So <laughs> like, sick. Ne- until next time. Here Knowing you go. what her suit ends up being, her getting the red scarf finally, I'm like, yes, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah very cool that, yeah. that's that's a great point but uh honestly beyond the bruno thing i'm excited for the i hope we get a dope building the suit scene i've always loved oh. those in spider-man movies and i think in the mcu we kind of like 
haven't had those until kind of no way home ish. Um, but like in general, eh, sort of far from home too. That was a cool scene. Um, but sort of, I do love. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That, that was movie. a very. It was a very emotional scene. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you, you, you might be right. I great love Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was like that was a great MCU scene, I would say, Best. more than a great Spider-Man scene. So but yeah, um, anyway, let's get off Spider-Man. I, I now I'm going down the rabbit hole. The suit, oh, the suit. Let's get it. So I really think that they've done a really good job with so many of Kamala's themes throughout this movie. Obviously, the family dynamics get resolved here, and I love that. The uh, the figuring out, discovering who you are. You go back to that first episode where she's trying to make the most like pitch perfect one for one Carol Danvers outfit. And uh, Bruno points out they want you to bring a little bit of you into the outfit. So she puts on the bangle. And I feel like her making her suit here is going to be so much about all of the I mean, it's so video gamey, but all of the things that she's collected along this journey and through this two, three week journey she's been on. That's how she's going to build her suit with the scarf, with the mask from Bruno, with the uh, the uh, the blouse could be a dress. I'm not sure that it's very uh, loose hanging at the bottom, the blouse that Nakia gives her and the bangle mm-hmm. and the scarf and all those things. They're going to make up her suit because that's who she is. The people she the people important to her life is who she is. And I love that they're going to really um they're, they're going to show that it's going to be embolic. It's going to be the suit is so going to tell that story. Huge fan of that. It seems like a shoe in um, as far as Comron's powers, comic accurate from what I saw on Twitter this morning. So, you know, it, I do think that right. you're right, that it is like we got to get this kid powers. Let's put A and B here and make it happen. Um, yeah. I wish it was a little more interesting, but going to make for a pretty cool action scene i would assume you know we got a lot of really um awesome visuals on our way i did roll my eyes when they shot to him and he just did have a fist i'm like ah, please don't be exactly the same you know because in the comics they're right. a little different they're actually very different but um uh from what they are in the comics anyway looking into next week i think we're on the same page that it's going to be a kamala building her suit realizing that she is who she is and then battling damage control another part of this show that's just not as fleshed out but mcu being the mcu david damage control has kind of been fleshed out throughout the spider-man uh, franchise obviously we see them in homecoming when uh we see them in no way home and the drones we're very familiar with from far from home all of that coming together do you think that this action scene is going to be the star of the show next week? The, the fight with damage control. Do you think that is what we are talking about the most next week? Or do you think it might be something else? I think it probably is. Um, or just me. I think, I think this show has a lot of potential for like a very cool final swinging away scene sure. uh, too with Kamala. Um, where it's like, ah, oh, this looks awesome, right? Like yeah. she is now a superhero. This We're is sitting on this the light exactly like it'll end with that i imagine but like where she, how she gets there right how she like travels there i think it could be a really so cool like action scene put throw the budget into that ladies and gentlemen just toss it in there i love a good swinging scene and if it's kamala khan too that's fine and she rocks um, it just like end- spider-man does yeah, exactly the end of the movie the 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 music is swelling god the best um so ho- hopefully it might be that I, but honestly i could see where what we're talking about most is a post-credit scene so that's um, that's where we come to next, right? So credit scene predictions, David. What do you got? Your first, your first post credit scene prediction here on the direct podcast. It's true. Uh, I'm at my prediction is it's very similar a la to 
WandaVision with um, uh, Monica Rambeau, where there is maybe it's Monica herself, but I could see it where it is just kind of a scroll, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe someone she knows around her has been a scroll this whole time, de- decloaks themselves and says, hey, Kamala, like something bigger is happening here. We got to go. Yeah. Cut the black. Right. And then we're off because we have this in general. That's my, my that's my specific prediction. In general, this has to be a connection to Captain Marvel in a real way. Do I think I'm going to get we're going to get Brie Larson? No. But I do think that we are going to get something that brings us into that movie, her next appearance. Yeah, I think the safe bet is that where it is. Monica Rambo, I think, would make so much sense. Another character that we all just kind of fell in love with right away because because just she is who she is. Right. A shining yeah. star in a WandaVision series that was widely beloved for its characters. Wanda and Vision were such a great part of WandaVision for Monica to stand out in that. Pretty amazing. Right. Um, so I would not my my safe bet would be Monica coming in and telling Kamala, hey, we're interested in talking to you, whatever it is. You know, what I mean, welcome to the circus, that kind of thing. But. Another prediction I have, and this is kind of piggybacking off Liam Crowley a little bit. Shout out to the man, Liam Crowley. Um, It's a little bit of a piggyback, but Secret Invasion is coming. The Marvels is coming. Scrolls are going to be a part of both projects, both that movie and that series. I would be shocked if they're not connected. They've built up in the MCU a handful of times that Scrolls could be anywhere. They did it in Far From Home. They did it in WandaVision. They did it... um, what am I missing? Or am I missing anything? I don't think so. I think it's far yeah. from home and WandaVision, two post-credit scenes featuring scrolls. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's and that's so important to the secret invasion storyline and betting in everyone's head that these things could be anywhere and you never know who it is. I think mm-hmm. I think that one of the damage control agents is a scroll, and we get that reveal mm-hmm. here in this episode that they are not all friendly. You know what I mean? There's a little more to it, whatever it might be. Um, but I think, and Liam shouted this out a handful of weeks ago, but the damage control entity is so perfect for a scroll invasion storyline to be a part of. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. have some power. They've been involved in the MCU a handful of times. If they were scrolls the whole time, that would be pretty trippy. So I do think it's right. going to be Monica recruiting. That'd be my favorite. But if I'm going to put a little fun bet on there, my underdog, a scroll reveal, the first... Um, antagonistic scroll reveal because the last one was very fun and the one before that was very fun this is going to be more of a intense ominous kind of feeling i think um and ladies and gentlemen that has been miss marvel episode five the season finale of miss marvel comes next week on episode 101 of the direct podcast and david we'll be ranking both miss marvel and thor love and thunder please make sure to check out our thor love and thunder review coming out this friday Big episode next week. A lot of MCU updates in our rankings. Can't wait, and we'll see you there. Well, speaking of Disney+, Plus, speaking of bringing in characters into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's been known for a while that the Marvel Netflix roster, the the Marvel Netflix Defender Saga is what they're calling it on Disney+, Plus. that features Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and others. They have been added to Disney+, Plus. they have been added into the MCU realm obviously matt murdoch showing up in no way home very exciting wilson fist showing up in hawkeye very exciting these characters are a part of the team now we're here this is this is the offshoot brand getting absorbed by the big guys and we cannot wait to play with these toys disney plus just released a promo 
just kind of highlighting this team and this group and how why everybody should watch these characters. So that tells me, David, that Marvel Studios and Disney Plus, they want to build off what Marvel Netflix did. They want people to watch those shows to get familiar with the stories and the characters and how they're told. So what we're going to do today is we're mm-hmm. going to go through that roster, assuming that we are moving forward and not resetting any of these characters. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about what we want their next appearance to be a movie, a series or a cameo. Yeah. We want to know from us. What do we want out of these characters as far as their utilization? Mm-hmm. Now, Daredevil is obviously scheduled to show up in Echo. Wilson Fisk, I think, rumored as well. For those two characters, this is going to be after Echo. What do we want to see these characters do? Mm-hmm. So let's start at the top. Matt Murdock, Daredevil. After he appears in Echo, where do you want to see Marvel Studios go with this character with Charlie Cox? Yep, Charlie Cox is back as Daredevil. I absolutely adore the Netflix series. Season two isn't as good as the rest, but season one and three, I think, are excellent. It, to me, Daredevil is still my number one Marvel TV series, point blank, above anything Disney Plus has done. I love Daredevil. Now, what I want out of specifically this character, I think it'd be really cool to do a movie. I'm a big movie guy. I love movies in general, um, normally over a series, but I think they've already done the TV show thing. Right. I don't think it's going to be that successful if they go the TV route again with Daredevil, in my opinion, because I don't think what they did with the Netflix show, they can replicate on Disney Plus. I mean, in a kind of soft reboot sense, I guess they could. And I'd be I'd be there day one. I'd be watching every week. I'd be loving it, I'm sure. But I think it'd be really cool after you know we had three seasons. He shows up in No Way Home. He appears in Echo. Why not give this another first time in 20 years? Another actual Daredevil movie. I think it'd play really well. I think it would do phenomenally at the box office. Charlie Cox is back. Everyone, a lot of people love that Netflix show. And it would really truly feel like an evolution of the character, not just a, hey, we're going to keep kind of doing it on Disney Plus, like a sidestep. It would feel like, oh, hey, now it's expanding into this movie right this we can go out to the cinema and see a daredevil movie i would love it to be a film what about you so i'm in the exact same boat as you i think that daredevil it's uh probably number two on my list of all all marvel shows wandavision is going to be number one i think that that show is perfect um daredevil incredible season two is my favorite season really wow i love the electro stuff okay okay um uh but it's a great show um, I, I agree. I think moving this into a movie is the natural progression. He's going to be an echo, which is exciting as hell. To the idea of him and Maya Lopez like fighting each other with each other. One's deaf, one's blind. Like that's going to be some cool visuals. Like, yeah, like, I'm excited. I love how- yeah, good. Just to see him active again, right? Because in No Way Home, we did get the one the the brick catch, but really see him being Daredevil some more. Um, and I like the idea. Uh, is there an outside chance? He, there's he's not mentioned in She Hulk. You'd think there'd be some correlation yeah. there, right? Um, so Absolutely. No, I, later. I think so as well. I think that he's going to be a big opportunity in She-Hawk, at least be mentioned or at least be referenced. But going back to Daredevil, I do want him to be in a movie. Obviously, don't try to be Christopher Nolan. Nobody should try to be Christopher Nolan. It's never going to work. A trilogy in the style of the Dark Knight trilogy, where it is very much personal life meets professional life, 
like like a lot of spy shit going on and you know very uh grounded kind of movie vibe i think that could play so well i think it would be a great continuation of the show which mm-hmm. i think has similar vibes to the dark knight um and you wouldn't have to have a origin movie which you know you look at trilogies you look at superman superhero trilogies the first one is oftentimes considered the least favorite because there is the gotta get my powers gotta explain what's going on like that's right. the movie like, right. the plot can't be too interesting because you do have to get the origin in there you don't have to do that with daredevil kick off as a movie that would be my number one bet let's move on to jessica jones uh very awesome character um, we're excited to see um, Jessica Jones in the MCU. We're not sure who the actress that's going to be playing her is. It very much could be Kristen Ritter, which yeah. people love. Uh, I never watched more than one season of Jessica Jones, so I don't. I'm not in love with Kristen Ritter as Jessica Jones, but I like her. She's good. Where do you want to see her show up next in the MCU? Movie, series, or cameo? Next up, I'd love to see a cameo, and I'd like it to be Kristen Ritter if I had my own preference. I absolutely adore Jessica Jones season one, specifically with Kilgrave. It is an, I think it's an excellent um, season of television, I guess, right? Of so Marvel. many attractive people in that show. <laughs> yes. And of so many Marvel of television, right? I think it did a really <laughs> good job with this, with the show. I think Jessica Jones can be a team player in the MCU. She's yeah. a really cool character. I think she could definitely be in like a Thunderboltsy kind of like area. I think she'd fit in super well with that kind of a team. I think the actress, Kristen Ritter, would have a... I think she'd be very open to returning to the character. I mean, it's crazy how time flies. Season one was in 2015. It's crazy how yeah. um, it feels like that wasn't that long ago. I think they ended up making three seasons. I watched all of them. I remember thinking that the first season was by far my favorite. Um, but a really enjoyable show. That first season specifically, if you have not gone... In if you not, haven't seen Jessica Jones season one, I highly suggest it. After that, you know, if you get sucked in, keep watching. But really, I think Je- Jessica Jones season one is really excellent. And I think a cameo in any of these Disney Plus shows coming out would be really cool. Just like they've been doing with specifically w- Wilson Fisk in that kind of similar vein. He kind of like pops up, right? They mentioned something about them. And there they are. Because Jessica Jones is a formidable uh you know, opponent, I guess, if you're going up against her too. She's a very powerful character. Yeah, I think that um, the, the only thing about the Jessica Jones series on Netflix is that show, you feel that hour. You know what I mean? Mm. I feel like more than Daredevil, more than Luke Cage, I, I never watched Iron Fist, but like you really feel that hour with those. So it is a little tougher to watch, but mm. great show nonetheless. And I think uh, the stylization of this character is awesome. I agree. I'm going to agree with you again. Movie series cameo. I'm going cameo. Um, and you kind of teased at it earlier, but David, She-Hulk. Yeah. What if she needs some info and needs a private eye to go get it? I think Jessica Jones is a perfect um, solution and She-Hulk to bring in. I think Christian Ritter would get a big pop in that series. And hell, even an action scene between She-Hulk and Jessica Jones could be very, very cool. Speaking of action, Luke Cage. Luke Cage, the uh, power man. Um one of my more favorite characters from that Netflix realm of Marvel. I think that I like my Mike Bolter's um interpretation mm-hmm. of Luke Cage. Um I'm gonna go first if that's okay. Yeah, you know go I mean? for it. I'm gonna do a, a, a kind of a different answer here. Uh movie series cameo. I want him to cameo into a series. Much like we talked about earlier with how Black Panther and Spider-Man cameoed in Civil War cameoed were guest appearances in civil war and then got their own movie i think it would be awesome 
to see Luke Cage in Captain America 4 show up and help Sam Wilson in some way, shape, or form, and then get his own series to build him into an eventual high-ranking leader spot of a new Avengers team. Mm. I think in the in the Bendes comics of the late uh, 2000s, early 2010s, Luke Cage is such a pivotal pivotal member to the new Avengers team, and I really like that dynamic. I like Power Man being there, being that he's an old-school hero for hire, but he's kind of evolved into being a tried-and-true Avenger. And um, I think having him show up in Captain America 4, introduce himself, introduce the concept, get a Luke Cage series on Disney Plus to flesh out the character even more. I think it could be really cool. And then I I hope and want and pray Luke Cage is a big part of an eventual Avengers team because his power sets there, there's a personality behind it, and it's a very relatable character. And I'm excited to see what they end up doing with him. Yeah. It's good that you went first in that one because I'm still thinking. I think sure. for Luke Cage, so kind of just to get this out of the way, Luke Cage to me on Netflix, I liked the first season um, until Blade dies <laughs> for Shali. Um, and then that, that series in general kind of went down the tank for me. I'm curious if Luke Cage is the first one on this list. We've done Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage. He's the first one where it's like, hmm, do they go recast here? Do they go more of yeah. a reboot? on this character because i think it could be appropriate maybe go a little bit younger um i don't know i'm curious what they end up doing with this because it's still not very clear in general what what is and isn't quote-unquote canon when it comes to the netflix shows is it all the same right have they been there all along and now we're just kind of like weaving them in is it this soft reboot i think it is a bit of a soft reboot it kind of seems that way based on what we've seen out of daredevil and um wilson fisk so far I would say cameo for Luke Cage, kind of a conservative cameo choice here. You kind of convinced me into thinking that he could have a bigger role. But before you said anything, I was thinking cameo leaning more. You know, you're going cameo leaning in a series. I'm going cameo backwards. Maybe just don't touch him for a while. Right. Like we don't do we really need to bring this guy in is a really much of a rush. Um, He doesn't do it so much for me. The most intriguing thing about him to me is his power set, like you said. Um, just how he's like a really cool, a very cool vehicle tool for an action sequence, right? Him yeah. and Shang-Chi beating someone up. Yeah. Give it to me right now, right? Yeah. Sign me up. Uh, so I think in that case, a cameo would be awesome. Um, and I think maybe even a cameo, I go, go specifically a cameo in a movie, like you mentioned, maybe yeah. Captain America 4. I think that would really play well. Absolutely. And I think the trajectory I want for Luke Cage is similar to the one that we got from Sam Wilson, you know, minor role in Winter Soldier, bigger role in Civil War, obviously Mm. Avenger moving forward. And then, uh, you know, we go on into him being Captain America. Um, Next on the list, Iron Fist, the Forgotten Stepchild of the Marvel Netflix series. I've never seen an episode of Iron Fist. I've never seen an episode of The Defenders. I don't really know who Iron Fist is outside of that first episode of Daredevil season three. Um, yeah. So um, I I have heard um, before from people much more knowledgeable than me that if Marvel if Netflix hadn't done Iron Fist, then Shang Chi would have been an Iron Fist movie because he's just the more popular martial arts Marvel character. Which reading comics, I agree, he is a part of the Heroes for Hire. It's Power Man and Iron Fist. Like, it's a great tag team. They're in cartoons, all the things, right? Shang-Chi's right. just lower on the bar than he is. 
Um, I love that we got Shang-Chi. I think if you would have swapped out the name Shang-Chi for Iron Fist, I would have loved it just the same, just because I don't have a connection um, to either character from comics. Right. Um, David, Iron Fist, what do we want to see from him in this uh, MCU world? If we want to see him at all. Yeah, this is another... series cameo. Yeah, this is another character that I gave it a try on Netflix. Did not like the show at all. Didn't care. I was like, I just don't really care about this character. It got to be a bit much. They really started expanding on Netflix, those Marvel shows. And it, this is the time where I'm like, ah, whatever. Like, I, I don't need this. I'm just going to watch Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and that's going to be it for me. Um, When it comes to Iron Fist, where should he appear next? I think it'd be cool if he's specifically in a Shang-Chi 2 as a, as a character. Sure. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see, you know, Shang-Chi um, with another mixed martial artist that it's the similar kind of fighting style and it would make sense. But in general, unless it's a Shang-Chi cameo or, you know, he's just a supporting character. Nah, I'm good. I, I really I think we have it in the MCU. Shang-Chi is that guy. Like, I, I'm cool with this kind of character. Like you mentioned, it could be one of the other. I love Shang-Chi. I think he's great. I think Simu Liu. In the character in the role is amazing, and I can't wait for him to be in an Avengers style fight someday. I think Shang-Chi is a shining star in the MCU after 2021. I think Shang-Chi puts 2021 at an extremely good level of MCU quality stuff. A lot of people are, you know, one way or another on a lot of things. Shang-Chi is not one of them. He's beloved. Yeah. He uh, came in third in our rookie of the year voting for the Director Awards last year, only behind. Kate Bishop and Yelena Belova, which hard to beat those two out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, my Iron Fist uh, take here, I guess, if he's going to be a cameo, I like him in Shang-Chi too as a Doctor Strange-esque runtime person. Uh, I just watched Wolverine Origins last night. The way Gambit is in Wolverine Origins, like awful, awful character. That kind of capacity, though, I think could play. Um, I want him to be a either a side character or a cameo in a Luke Cage series, a heroes for hire series, you know, heroes for hire, uh, heroes for hire project in general, Luke Cage is going to need a couple people to be with him, you know, collecting bounties and stuff. Iron Fist could be one and uh, Misty Knight and a bunch of other people, Shang-Chi, but uh, yeah. yeah, Iron Fist cameo in a Luke Cage series would be my only pick if I'm forced to make a pick. Yeah. Um, last on the list, John Bernthal, Punisher, baby. <clears throat> one of the most beloved characters from the Marvel Netflix series. I think one of the the reason another reason I think season two is the best season of the three. The introduction of Punisher is pitch perfect. Like, yeah. like absolutely a thousand percent spot on. The way they introduce this character as an army, like you know, you you remember like he's taking spoilers for people who haven't seen Daredevil. Quick second. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Okay. Quick, the way they introduce them by like taking out a bunch of different gangs. And every time they describe those murders, like, oh, must have been a whole army, must have been a whole firing squad. There's no way one man could have done all this. It ends up it was Punisher the whole time, like, absolutely electric. David, movie, series, cameo. For the sake of conversation, we expect that Deadpool 3 to be rated R. The rated R tag is up there. We can use it. Okay movie series cameo for the punisher yeah i'm actually gonna go for the punisher i think just a continuation slash soft reboot of another series for him i think he's i think he's good in that um respect Uh, i could see where a cameo would work in a movie where he kind of like pops up as like holy shit like what was that um but yeah like you mentioned really great introduction into the like netflix marvel universe there 
Um, great casting. Got to keep John Berthold in there. And yeah, I think he would. I think a continuation of the series for him would be ideal, um, at least in my opinion. And I'll be honest. I didn't, I didn't ever watch the Punisher series. I don't know why. I think it was part of that yeah. moment where I'm like, oh, there's uh, a bunch of stuff out and I don't have time for this. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm just I need to have a tier list of what I'm actually going to watch and care about. I've didn't quite make it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it's good, especially I think the first season is pretty good. But I think a series for him in the MCU where it is just like taking out people. Right. Like there, there's something to it where it's like a little more the see more of the seedy underbelly of like New York. Um, in the MCU, properly in the MCU, right? Would be really cool. And I think he could, he, another, same thing with, I think, like Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, we've mentioned a really cool character to add into the MCU, unlike yeah. Iron Fist for us. We're like, ah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Punisher would be cool to like pop into the MCU, like what, Absolutely. what he brings to the table. Once again, maybe with that Thunderbolts team assembling, oh, he could be a be really perfect. Cool, yeah, exactly. I would love to see him kind of be weaved into that unit, that kind of on the ground level MCU character. I absolutely love that. I never thought about that. That's money, man. It's absolutely money. Um, I think they're building something great with the street level of the MCU with Hawkeye and now Echo coming up soon. Daredevil is going to be a part of that street level MCU is hot in the streets right now. Um what I like about Punisher, obviously, John Berthold's Punisher. I just talked about how great his origin and uh, Daredevil was Daredevil, uh, Punisher in the Spider-Man cartoon from the nineties, such a fun character. He's got all these gadgets. He's kind of like an evil Batman, the moral, the ethical conflict of Punisher with boy, boy, Spider-Man. Very cool. Um, Punisher, the movie from uh, FX days past, always a good time in the comics uh, during the civil war run for Marvel comics. Punisher is a big part of a couple issues. There's a there's a panel or a, a couple pages where Punisher kills a couple bad guys and guess who's pissed off? Captain Steve Rogers. Guess mm. who Frank Castle refuses to fight because he has too much respect for Captain Steve Rogers. Like that's a mm. really powerful series in the comics. So Punisher has range, man. He's all over the place. Um, you pitched me with Thunderbolts though. I'm all in on him being a part of the Thunderbolts. I think that could be really cool. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been movie series cameo. Just to recap, we think Daredevil should be in his own movie following Echo. Jessica Jones, a cameo. I said She-Hulk. He could also, she could also show up basically anywhere. Um, Luke Cage. I said cameo to series. Uh, David said a cameo. Iron Fist. Eh, take it or leave it. Punisher. Let's get season three going. Ladies and gentlemen, movie series cameo for the Marvel Netflix squad. Now, David. Let's dive into those box office numbers. All right, everyone. The box office report of this week coming in hot off the press is the weekend domestic box office report. Minions grossing in a hundred, a big splashy yellow, $107 million at the domestic box office. Now what's funny about this one, Matt, is that there is this, have you seen the videos? That's my question. You've seen, I the have seen the videos. You've yeah. seen the videos of all these kids. Well, kids. the boys going to see Minions. All the boys <laughs> heading out to Minions, looking like they're ready for the prom with their two long ties, their two short pants, walking in with their suits, buying out theaters, theaters going nuts. And it's insane. I think it is having an impact on this box office because wonderful opening weekend. Lightyear could only dream of having a 107 million opening weekend. And here we are. 
right? Banana. I, I have no, I'm not going to see Minions Banana. 2. I, I have no intention of seeing this movie. I've kind of fallen off with Despicable Me. Um, it's, it's a perfectly fine, but kind of become a bit of a cash cow for Universal, and it is what it is. But hey, it, it's killing it. More importantly here, and I know you care about this movie, Top Gun Maverick, the box office Cinderella story, love, child, whatever you want to call it, sweetheart <laughs> of 2022. Just Tom Cruise and cash flow is what we're talking yeah. about here. Top Gun Maverick in its sixth weekend, its sixth weekend at the box office, 25.5 million people are still going out to see this movie. It's still playing in a ton of theaters, a ton of screenings. It's back on premiums. Uh, screens like IMAX and 4DX and whatever else you Dolby maybe whatever you want to see it in it's there and it's gross now over 1.1 billion worldwide over 500 million domestically it I love this movie I've seen it twice I want to go see it again and it's going to keep playing nothing's going to touch this movie Matt I'm letting I'm telling you right now nothing is touching this movie this year in in my opinion I I would be stunned maybe if black panther's a huge hit i mean i guess avatar if you want to count that because it'll start and even then maybe this specifically domestically here in north america oh my gosh this thing is an unbelievable hit and it keeps on rolling like the legs on this are unbelievable and it keeps just ticking and ticking on um moving on a couple more i'm gonna go through these next ones few a little more quickly Elvis making $18.4 million in its second weekend, a solid hold for Elvis. Um, clearly, a lot of people went and saw it again on its second weekend, maybe didn't check it out the first weekend. Um, Austin Butler does a great job in this. Have you seen the movie, uh, Matt? I haven't yet. Yeah. I got to get there and see it. I love Elvis, and I've heard it's great, and I'm bummed I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, well, you'll contribute maybe to the weekend three uh, for Elvis. And uh, Elvis is a good, a good movie, I think. It's pretty long, but I think Austin Butler kills it. And speaking of which, like the length of the movie is not contributing factor into this like you can only play in so many theaters because it is nearly a three-hour movie um it kind of flies by the Baz Luhrmann kind of sprinkling of it all but it's a good film and people are enjoying it It is doing well at the box office so far Jurassic World Dominion 16 million this is now it's what I think fourth weekend if I'm getting yeah uh yeah third or I think fourth um I didn't like this movie it's doing well at the box office nothing to the levels of Top Gun Maverick but 16 million is a pretty good hold right now, um, especially because we are in a crowded state of the box office. We're getting Love and Thunder next weekend, which is going to really dampen some of these numbers we're talking about sure. right now, especially in the latter end. Um, but people still going out to see Jurassic World. Obviously, this past weekend was a holiday weekend. So there's maybe more kind of desire to go out and to, to see films. Fifth. And then we talk about the sixth in a second, but the fifth movie at the box office this weekend was the black phone. Uh, Ethan Hawke, not in his role for Moon Knight. Um, but uh, in a horror flick, it is doing really well at the box office. It made $12.2 million. Um, It only cost, I think, $18 million to produce. Yeah, I saw like 15 to $18 million was the projected budget. Yeah, so it's doing excellent so far at the box office. It's only in its second weekend, and yeah, um, that's a big success. Now, what's not a big success, what has been a bit of a flop, in my humble opinion, is Lightyear. Chris Evans, Captain America himself, taking on this mantle as Buzz Lightyear. Um, I was way off with my opening weekend prediction. I was also very high on the movie. I hadn't seen it yet, but I was also like, I thought it was going to have that. 
thought it was going to have more of an audience, I guess, is the bottom line. Um, and I think part of this has kind of been it's like, you know, quote unquote, like woke light year. And there's kind of this whole like political element to it, which is nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter anyone's opinion, when you are a movie studio trying to make money at the box office, you don't want to get political. You, you don't want there to be this unless it's a political movie. You don't want there to be this kind of like pull and tug from audiences about like, should we morally or like, or do our beliefs line up with a movie to go see it? Like think about Top Gun Maverick. That movie should be, it kind of maybe is, you know, propaganda, some plot, some politics. It is Definitely the most propaganda. apolitical <laughs> military movie on the face of the planet. And that's completely on purpose. The enemy this and that like it's completely like apolitical it seems like it could do well internationally which it is um lightyear i thought it was a great movie it only made 6.3 million dollars this weekend it's completely plummeted and i think it's going to hit disney plus like I, I tweeted out i said it should hit disney plus yesterday it should already be on there it needs to be a disney plus film and i feel really bad for those at pixar um because once again they're kind of being I think what's going to be what's going to the effect is going to be is shunned to Disney Plus. Now, Matt, a question for you going off of this with Lightyear specifically, you know, and we talk a little bit about um, animated movies on here. Disney, obviously, that's like a huge part of Marvel um, and they produce a lot of animated movies. Do you prefer if you if at all, do you prefer seeing them go to straight distance to Disney Plus, like a turning red, perhaps? Or yeah. do you still like to see, you know, minions make 107 at the opening box office like do you care about animation or do you go see animated movies what's your opinion on that so i like to see as many animated movies that come out because i i find them very fun i i i know what i'm getting into when i see an animated movie it's going to be a good time and when it's pixar or dreamworks or disney i know i'm going to end up getting some heart on the back end right um right. as far as minions i'm a little too old for the minions craze um, I've only seen the first two Despicable Me's and I saw them like when my high school girlfriend got her wisdom teeth taken out. We watched Despicable Me kind of thing. Nice. Um, so but that being said, the video of the Minions singing banana to the tune of Barbara Ann on YouTube. Um, <laughs> one of my all time favorite videos watching yeah. that one minion just get progressively upset with the falsetto minion the entire time right. and knock him out. So I understand the minions lore. It's it's meme. It's a meme. And I and I respect that. This is what Morbius wishes it could be, right? Um, as far as animation <laughs> yeah. beyond like minions, something like that, I'm a little in a weird situation. I have not seen an animated movie in theaters in a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been watching them at home, obviously, throughout the pandemic. That's been the majority of the options available. I will say I have the hue lights at home with the sink, the hue sink that has the lights trail off the edges of the TV. Very, very fun watching animated mm -hmm. movies in that because it's just so goddamn colorful. Mm -hmm. um, watch Stranger Things with it last night. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, but so I definitely love animated movies. I watch as many as I can. Anytime there's one that I haven't seen, me and Aaron try to make a point to see it at some point. I was offered a screener for Lightyear, and unfortunately, my sister had to get married, so I couldn't go see it. Damn it, Tim. <laughs> um, but um, so um, I don't think I'll go check it in theaters until it hits Disney Plus. Um, yeah. But um, I, I'm all for animated movies in theaters simply because um, Across the Spider Verse has to be in theaters. Beyond the Spider Verse has to be in theaters. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. Those are yeah. billion dollar movies. <laughs> yeah and it's interesting you know um obviously sony's going to distribute those in theaters because they don't have like a uh, that's a big budget movie for them that animation costs a ton 
and it's something where they don't have a Disney Plus to plop it onto. It's interesting looking at Lightyear just for one more second that it is in the range. Like, think about it, uh, Matt. If I was going into this months ago, Lightyear is going to be up there, right? With the Monsters, Inc., maybe Cars, Up, Inside Out, Wally, Ratatouille even. No, it's down in the dumps. It's making a l- Onward, which didn't have didn't do anything in the box office because of the pandemic, practically. Uh, it's just above that by 40 million. It's like it hasn't even reached the good dinosaur domestically. It hasn't even reached Cars 3, A Bug's Life, Cars 2. It's it's really it's not doing well. And it's yeah. really sad because there were soul turning red straight to Disney Plus for Pixar. And that might be continued trend. Now, one extra question I have for you, Matt, talking about the box office as a whole. What lessons do you think the so here's the thing about the MCU, right? We saw it just now with Multiverse of Madness. It's now all of a sudden on Disney Plus. That's great. It did wonderful at the box office, like around nine hundred thirty million dollars globally. Um, the first MCU movie to be to stop in between nine hundred and a billion. No other wow. MC movie has ever done that. It's a rare little Hilarious. superlative for the um, Multiverse of Madness. Only one that stops in the 900 millions globally. What could the MCU, you think, or I guess comic book movies in general, learn from Top Gun Maverick when it comes to the legs? The legs are unbelievable on this movie. And is it just the word of mouth? Is it just creating a movie that everyone loves? What is that secret sauce you think that studios like Marvel Studios could try to replicate when it comes to having a movie play in a theater all summer because this is what maverick is becoming it's its sixth weekend and it's at 25.5 million all summer movie how does marvel do it i think that you you said it right there it's the word of mouth i feel like both marvel studios and tom cruise have a similar effect tom cruise definitely not like as prestigious currently as he used to be but you put Tom Cruise in a movie, there's a baseline of people who are just going to go see it because they yeah. go see Tom Cruise movies in theaters. It's what they've done for 20 years. Same thing with Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios puts out a movie. We're going to go see it. There's a baseline there. To get that baseline moving upward and to move above what your baseline is as a as a tentpole IP that Marvel Studios and Tom Cruise have become um it's that word of mouth man you know top gun maverick nobody is talking about anything bad from this movie at any point everyone's talking about how good it is it came out memorial day weekend we're all wearing our you know we're all around we're at barbecues we're at pool parties talking about stuff you're going to see top gun maverick even this weekend um you know i was i was at a fourth of july pool party here at my apartment i had the ox for a little bit um, with nice. the speaker that uh, our group brought down top gun maverick theme song was the first thing i played that's america like yeah. there's there's a cultural event happening with top gun maverick but it all started with everyone talking about how good it is i think back to one marvel studios example from last year obviously no way home had a big advantage over everybody it being spider-man right shang chi that, that movie saved theaters i i will stand by that until the end of time shang chi should not have done as good as it did it blew past expectations, saved movie theaters during the pandemic. Everyone talked about how good Shang-Chi was when it first yeah. came out. It was yeah. word of mouth. We got our screeners two weeks early for Shang-Chi because Marvel Studios wanted people talking about how good it was. There was a fan screener a week early for Shang-Chi because people wanted 
they wanted people talking about how good it was. Yeah. You look at some relate, uh, change that with Venom, let there be carnage. There was one press screening. It came out two days before the movie did. They didn't want anyone talking about this movie ahead of Venom, let there be carnage. Yeah. I think when you have a good movie, you know it and you need to, you need to trust yourself as a studio we have a good product. We need to get as many people talking about it as possible. That's promotion. That's marketing. It's all those things. But the word of mouth, I think, is the biggest way you're going to do it. And you need pundits like the great people over at the Direct and the Direct Podcast. Hello. You need yeah. us doing the work. You need fans doing the work. That word of mouth is huge. We saw it with Maverick. We saw it with Shang-Chi. And, um, and on the opposite side, you saw it with Jurassic World Dominion. Honestly, like I'm a big Jurassic Park guy. I love Jurassic Park. I was going to go see it in theaters. I heard how bad it was. You know what I mean? And yeah. and I, I couldn't make it the first weekend. Again, um, my little sister got married that weekend right? Um, or the weekend before I was in town. Um, and I just never got around to seeing it because I just heard how bad it was. And so that word of mouth is huge on both sides of the table. Yeah. And what's crazy, too, we mentioned word of mouth. You would think Shang-Chi made more than Let There Be Carnage. It didn't. That's what's crazy about it, right? Like, Let There Be Carnage, still that like Venom sony appeal spider-man it-esque thing like you mentioned the power of spider-man it's still there that's what's crazy about it as well is that like and venom one was a huge success which makes you know let there be carnage look like not a big success for for the times um it did really well also let there be carnage it's like 97 minutes long right you can pump that thing in a lot (laughs) a lot of different theaters um yeah can i say one thing on let there be carnage real quick Mm -hmm. I know this sounds stupid, but I truly honestly believe so much of the success for that movie from a box office standpoint was the marketing of the craziest post-credit scene you've ever seen. Right. You know what I mean? That's true. The craziest post-credit scene ever. And we all knew it was going to tie into No Way Home. I think, again, it sounds stupid. I think the success of Let There Be Carnage is on the back of No Way Home, a movie that doesn't come out for another two months. You know what I mean? I really think like people saw Let There Be Carnage because they marketed it that way, the greatest post-credit scene ever. People yep. saw that as I need to see Let There Be Carnage before I see No Way Home. And I know I'm gonna see No Way Home. That's crazy to think about when you really think about like where we all were with Let There Be Carnage at the time. People were talking about how bad it was, but people were also talking about the post-credit scene, and that's what Sony did, and it's disrespectful. Yeah, and I mean it's still <laughs> Shang-Chi to be fair. It didn't make as much globally, so internationally, but it did make more domestically um, by a by a. Oh yeah. So yeah, it, you know, it all depends how you're looking at things. So speaking of the MCU, speaking of Marvel, speaking of the box office, Thor, Love and Thunder is upon us. It is almost here, and so co- will come the box office report. Right? How much was this thing going to make at the box office? Normally, you know, in latter times, you would have been hearing me next week come on as a guest and talk about thor love and thunder box office but here i am full time and i'm going to predict predict what it's going to make opening weekend and totally domestically so without any further ado my official thor love and thunder opening weekend box office prediction domestically is 160 million dollars at the box office that would be approximately the 10th all-time MCU opening. Um, I think this is a somewhat safe bet. Tracking has it in between, say, 140 to 170-ish. Um, it'll narrow down in, in the coming days. But as of right now, as of recording, I have it around 160 million opening weekend. 
And I think that's about right. Um, it will not reach the levels of Multiverse of Madness to kind of compare what uh, the most recent Marvel movie, because I think there is more of a the multiverse buzzword, right? More of a hype around that. More of a we're coming off the tales of No Way Home. What other crazy cameos could happen? We're not getting that Love and Thunder. I think people are going to see this movie. I think it maybe could even make more domestically over time. But opening weekend, Multiverse of Madness was a huge deal. Um, made 187 million, and I think 160 is a great opening weekend for Thor. Um, and they'll definitely take it. Uh, Ragnarok only made 122 million opening weekend for to compare Thor movies. So this would be a big step up. This would definitely, it would definitely be the highest Thor opening weekend. And I think we'll get it. I think it's a really nice spot for Disney to place Thor Love and Thunder. No real big competition the same weekend or even really coming down the pike. They can kind of own July once it comes out. And with that being said, as of right now, I'm thinking about 400 million total domestically. Uh, Doctor Strange is at like 410. So it'll be in the similar range. And then worldwide, I'd have it in the 800s as compared to the Doctor Strange to now being in the 900s. So I think it'll make less than Multiverse of Madness. I think there's more of that initial hype for Multiverse of Madness than there is than there will be and is for Thor. Um, and Thor has never really been a box office darling, believe it or not. It really has never been like the marquee thing for Marvel. Ragnarok did really well. Um, but before that, not so much. And the interest is there. Opening weekend will be awesome. 160 is a ton of money. Let's not, you know, even though it's less than Multiverse of Madness, let's think that, that is a ton. Like we're talking so highly of Maverick. Top Gun Maverick only made 123 opening weekend three day, right? This would be a significant, <laughs> that would be significantly more than this. So yeah, I'm sticking to 160 million and we'll have to wait and see, Matt. I love doing these segments where you go first because you kind of give me a baseline, right? I feel like your prediction is what I want to go off of. Do I think it's going to be higher or lower? Maybe that's how we do this moving forward because you're the expert. And I can just kind of bet off the experts. A little over that's under. I, do. I, work in, I work in gambling, David. This is just kind of what I do, right? You set <laughs> the it. line. I'll talk about it. Um, the reason I think Love and Thunder is going to go over your predictions mm. Uh, both opening weekend and worldwide. I think this movie is going to make a billion dollars. Nice. And the, the reason I think that's going to happen is a handful of things. The Marvel Studios things we've talked about. Chris Hemsworth is great. People love him. Um, mm. the great trailers, all these different things, right? The, it, it's a, it's a well-marketed movie. It's the fourth installment of a movie. People know what they're getting, all this stuff, right? My thing is, I talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe a lot. Anytime um, I go out with my wife and we meet new people, the first time someone brings it up, my ears kind of perk up and yeah. I wait to kind of talk to them about it. Like if they're going to talk about it, I want in kind of deal. Yep. Um, all those different things. What I've learned from my friends who, you know, like the MCU fine, they've seen in game, all this stuff, right? You know, they're, they're not into it, but they've seen the movies. It's a pop culture phenomenon. Everybody's right. seen the movies. If you're not super into the MCU, but you still see the MCU movies, more often than not, I find that Ragnarok is people's favorite. Ragnarok mm. is a beloved movie for fringe MCU fans. The common moviegoer loves Thor Ragnarok, adores mm. Thor Ragnarok. So I think the sequel to Ragnarok is going to get a bigger bump than um, uh, maybe what Ragnarok did. 
On top of that, I think those exact same people are going to talk about how much they loved it. Having seen the movie, I think people are going to talk about how much like Ragnarok it is, and that's going to entice even more people to go see it. Right. Once people hear that this is basically Ragnarok 2.0, that's going to jump them into seeing it even more. So I think it's going to shoot over your expectations a little bit. I don't know mm. by exactly how much. Um, so, you know, just playing some numbers here. You said the range was 150 to 170. You projected 160. I'll go 70. Yeah. Um, and then worldwide, uh, after after the 45 days, I think it hits a billion because you said 800. It's not fun for me to say 900. You know, <laughs> you know, what's cool. You know, what's cooler than uh, what is it? You know, it's cooler than a thousand dollars. A million. No, no, no. You know, it's cooler a than a million dollars. A billion dollars. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Justin um, Timberlake. So, so, yeah. 100. <laughs> um, I just had sex with Sean Parker. <laughs> Great. Uh, uh, Dakota Johnson. Ooh. Oh, one, one of my favorite right. movies, by the way. Uh, oh, yeah. I, Social Network. I, haven't, I probably haven't seen it since high school. I haven't seen what? it in probably 10 years. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's unbelievable. It's literally my like top two favorite movies of all time. I love The oh. Social Network. I, one of my favorite things about that movie is Dakota Johnson simply like, I just had sex with Sean Parker. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so, <laughs> so excited about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I love know. that. Um, yeah, man. So I'm going to say a billion. I'm going to say 170, but it looks like they're going to make a lot of money. Like you said, 800, yeah. like it's, you know, yeah, it's not that. That's fuck you, buddy, man. Like, like no, that is an extreme yeah. amount of money. Yeah. And it's, it's I mean, exciting. this is once again, just the MCU kind of rounding back into, sh- in the mid season form, right. With yeah, the box here. office. Um, like no way home was its own thing. No way home was an Avengers level kind of like box office hype. Everyone was going to see this multiple times. Like it was unbelievable that box office. You can't compare it to that. You can't compare this to multiverse of madness though. And I do, you think it'll be over specifically not the opening weekend, but over like globally, which I could see if this does have a better word of mouth, like we mentioned with Maverick earlier, if there's more rewatchability to this to the multiverse of madness Mm -hmm. i could see this doing having more legs like i mentioned and okay another thing i want to mention too that maybe i should have factored in a little bit more july is very open it's very open for love and thunder kind of sit right sit and I, i think kind of live in this month and really rack in the money Multiverse of Madness had competition coming out two weeks later. It had Maverick, right? It had Jurassic World a few weeks later. It didn't, it couldn't really, it needed to be really good to have those legs. And even if Thor, Love and Thunder isn't Maverick level loved, it can still have great legs and really continue on and have that great total number that keeps just fueling the tank, fueling that MCU tank, producing more and more of these movies, which prepares us for, which we'll talk about in a few months, the potential of the Wakanda Forever box office, which could go very, which could go sky high, basically. Billion dollar sequel. You know, those are the things we're looking out for, for sure. Yeah. I always feel like I learned something when we talk about the box office, my man. Thank you so much. Of course. That's what I love to do. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody listening, for joining us right here on the direct podcast. Look out. This Friday, July 8th, for our Thor Love and Thunder review, episode 100. Richard Nebbins is going to join us. We're going to break down everything you need to know about Thor Love and Thunder. And then next week, for episode 101, the rankings return. We'll be ranking both Thor Love and Thunder and Miss Marvel within the Marvel Cinematic mm-hmm. Universe. But until then, we'll see you next time. Ba, 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 na, na, na.